Hello, and welcome to the Ghoul Squad Podcast. And welcome to the Ghoul Squad Podcast. I'm Eric Hoff, one of your hosts, and with me, as always, is Keegan Prezak. Hello, Eric. And we're a horror movie podcast where once every six months, two buddies in the <laughs> middle of nowhere get together to talk about horror films. Keegan, what is up? Hello, Eric. How are you doing? I'm glad to be here. What about yourself? Well, I'm excited. Uh, I'm a little, like we were talking before the podcast, this episode has so much bullshit in it. Yes. Let's just use the word bullshit right off the bat. I, I wanted us to record a few weeks earlier. Yeah. I even wrote my notes out. But then you're like, let's wait for Halloween Kills. So you just bloated the shit, Yeah, and, and, and now I'm just going to hit you with a hard-hitting question. Okay. Dot, you used to always nip at my fucking heels to record, and now I never hear from you. Yes. Do you not give a shit no more? No, I don't like you anymore. Okay. I'm glad we got to the bottom of that so easily. No, I'm just busy. Okay. I mean, that, the, the, re- the reality is I'm just busy. And then I think I feel like... Like we want to do it. We want to record during the day, but then like you're not off or I'm off or you're, you're off and I'm not, you know? So it's like kind of that. I don't know. It's just been hard to, I've said this before. It's been hard to get us together in the same room. Yes. You and I can like fake pick a day, but when it comes down to it, it's like you're working or you get off late or I'm working and I get off late. So it's just been hard to get together. So, so you're telling me that hotel life was easier than oil filled life. Yes. Okay. For sure. Now that's not to say like oil field life is like hard. Okay. It's it's great. It's just when you're when, out in the patch. Right. When I when I'm working, I work a lot more than like at the hotel. Like I You're also I, getting paid a lot more. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's safe to say working at the hotel, I worked a lot less. Okay. Uh hello. Now, you, you're and, a, and you're shout editing out. our episodes when you're at work. I I'm not gonna I'm not willing to admit to doing that at nah, the hotel. No, you don't work there no more. That yeah, was I know. six years ago. It's a joke. Okay. Uh a shout out to my my uh, general ma- general manager, boss. yes, uh, Andrew Sierra, who also gave us this podcast equipment yes. so we could make this humble podcast of yes. ours. You know what, Andrew? It seems to be acting a little wonky. Yeah. It, so if you want to buy you, so if you want to buy something new and you know shoot it shoot it shoot it our way, I, I thought you were going to say if you want to buy it back from us, <laughs> <laughs> like we sell it back to him. We never paid for it in the first place. Yeah. So. Hello, Andrew. Yeah. So okay, Eric. First of all, what are we going to do on this episode of the podcast? Oh, okay. So there's been so much. We finally seen a bunch of big horror films, yeah. right? And I think it's pretty clear the big one. I and, mean, there's and, a lot exactly. of big stuff, but the big one. You're right. We're going to finally talk about. Death Rider in the House of Vampires. Yes, I mean, the, that's, that's the biggest film of 2021 right now, right? The Devil Rides Out. I mean, that was 1960-something, but yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about what films, Eric? You tell Candyman, us. Candyman, Malignant, and a little movie you may have heard of called Halloween Kills. And we're also going to go over Midnight Mass. So yes. we, we have a lot to talk about. And, and I want to say here... Some of these we're going to just rattle, and we will warn for spoilers. But like in the case of Malignant, uh, fucking asterisks on Malignant, because I'm not sure you can talk about Malignant without spoiling it. Mm. So I actually think we should just save Malignant for sure for the end. Okay. That way, if you haven't seen Malignant, you, you don't want it to be spoiled, we'll tell you goodbye. But now we're going to talk this bonkers ass movie. I mean, the better thing may do the better thing to do is probably just tell us goodbye now. Yeah, just shut it off now just because it's it not going to be good. We know that. Yeah. 
So, uh, Eric, how are you? How's your house? Last time I talked to you on this podcast, and last time I talked to you in general. Yeah. I mean, yes, we saw a movie together by accident. You left before the credits, but we'll get to that. We played Halo together. Unfortunately. Which I hope... Aw, I was going to say, I hope more <laughs> happens kidding. when the game finally releases. You know what? When you and I... So we... Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, we, go ahead. We played Look, Halo Infinite, right? Shit talk Halo, yeah. No, so we played Halo Infinite. The the It's called a... Let's just call it what it is. Let's call it Spade a Spade. Uh, it's a beta. Right. So we played the Halo Infinite beta by accident because Eric was on. I had it. I asked him. We played it. And I was kind of underwhelmed. Uh, okay. And I still kind of am like, wow, this is I, it. I remember you're like... I think a direct quote from you was, so for the last six years, they've just been making Halo? And also, like, not well-polished Halo? Like It's the beta, duh! The beta comes out in December. The full game. They've been making this game for six years. Um, I mean, I would take it like that right now. Me too, because let me let me fix it by saying, by the time you and I were playing and actually playing together, it was a blast. Mm. And so that saved me. I was like, all right, I'm in. I love Halo. I can't wait for this to come out. So... I'm excited. I can't wait. Um, I'm worried I'll play Fortnite, but we'll see. Well, I'll be there to like bother you and be like, oh, jump on Halo instead. Easy wants to play but, Halo. But you're like, oh, they're putting out the Dune skins in Fortnite. I need to play Fortnite That's instead. pretty funny. It's funny that you'd bring that up. Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to buy the... I you're going to fucking buy the Dune skins, dog. No, the, 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 I bought the Ray skin from Rise of Skywalker, and okay. that's the only skin I use. Now, there have I... What? No, hold on. Have hold I on. bought hundreds hold of on. other... Wait, well, hang on. Okay. Have I bought hundreds of other skins on Fortnite? Yes. Okay, that's what I was going to get, because I, I could have sworn I've seen you, your brother... And Wes, all is Master Chief one time. Master what? Yes. Chief. Yes. Okay. Um, we, we. I have the Master Chief skin. I also have the Ripley skin from Alien. Okay. Um, I have way too many skins, Eric. But the only one I use, that's what I hate. The only one I use is Ray. That's gotcha. it. So you I never you change all those other skins. Huh? I never use them, ever. Gotcha. With that being said, Eric, what happened to your house? Last time I talked to you, you had had this hellacious storm yeah. wreck the side of your house. Yeah. Uh, a Your neighbor's carport yeah. slammed into your ceiling of the toy room. We won't explain what yeah. type of toys, yep. okay. but it slammed into the toy room. You had a, a drip. It was When it would rain, it was leaking in the toy room closet. Uh, since then, uh, the exterior has been fixed. Okay. So at least it won't fucking you know, literally leak inside my house. Let me but ask there, you There's still a hole in the toy room. You you told us on the podcast it was only going to be like 600 bucks. Did that come true? No, it did not. Of course not. Because whenever he like finally started to like work on it, he was like, it's fucking worse than I previously thought. Of course it was, yeah, duh. It, it ended up being a grand. So uh, I mean, that's fucking expensive, sucks. sure. Yeah, but it sucks. wasn't like, I was thinking it was going to be like five plus. I know you don't. That, but that's only the exterior. I still got to do the interior. I know you don't own the home, but a thousand dollars to fix a like a home, that that in the grand scheme, that's not that much for you to just drop sucks. Right. But uh, I know you have a hefty savings. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and I've been in that house for so goddamn long. It, I, you know, I and wanted it's not to like take you pay the, rent to your brother. I wanted to take the responsibility to you know get it fixed. Right. I mean, you've been saving millions. Yes, millions, people, and I'm just doing this podcast for free. Yes, finally. Right. Well, what about you? What's going on in the world of Keegan? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, the the real main thing is I'm going on my trip next week. Next week? That's next soon? week. So on uh, Wednesday or so next week. So anyway, it doesn't matter. Next week, I am going on my trip to California. How long are you going to be gone, duh? Uh, several days. Oh, damn. We're doing... Okay, so here's the itinerary, Eric. Keegan might not come back, guys. Uh, let me tell you this quick little story about okay. my trip. So we're going to Anaheim, right? We're going to stay there for Disneyland. Anaheim, Missouri, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, and 
we're going to be there for Disneyland. That's why we're staying there. But we're also – we're going to go to a Patriots game, right? So I like football, everybody. Shout out to the Pats. Go Pats. We what are team pl- is based out of Anaheim? The char- Well, they're not based out of Anaheim. They're, it's the L.A. Chargers. Gotcha. They moved there. So we're going to play the Chargers. We're going to that game. So here, here's the itinerary. Well, I, I know I've said that before, but I just want to say that we randomly came upon, oh, I forgot Knotts is fucking in Anaheim. Mm. And so our first night, we're like, yeah, we're going to get there. I'm not sure we have a lot to do. We might just go to downtown Disney, which is like a shopping district. Okay. So it's free. You can just go down there and like eat and shit. And I've been down there before and it's cool. And we're like, well, maybe we'll do that. And then I was like, wait, how much? I think my brother was like, Knott's is in Anaheim. And I was like, oh, I don't know why I thought Knott's was in LA. Turns out Knott's is like four blocks from, it might not be four blocks, but yeah, from where we're staying. Yeah. And we're like, oh, let's go do Knott's Scary Farm. Awesome. And we're like, well, how much is it? Like, we don't want, we've already spent a lot, right? We're doing three days Disney, one day Universal. Uh, That same night, we're going to do Halloween Horror Nights at Universal. And then the game, right? It's $45. For not scary farm, we're like, oh fuck, okay, so we'll do that. So now, our first night is not scary farm. Our second night, Ben actually, my brother found this. Uh, Danny Elfman is doing like a live concert for Nightmare Before Christmas. Sounds terrible. And <laughs> it was it was my brother's idea. Shout out to my brother. Um, no, he wants to do it because it, you know him and his wife really like that movie. Let me ask you this. I grew Are they up gonna, like. Play the film as well? Yes. Okay, that, that so sounds fun. It, it's in a it's in like a stadium, and they have like the orchestra. Gotcha. And he's going to like conduct the movie, and they're going to play it as well, some of the songs. So Danny Elfman plays Jack Skellington, so he will be singing the song on stage. And I guess, I think it's Sally that she's playing, but my brother just recently told me, he's like, yeah, the person that's going to be playing Sally is Billie Eilish. Really? And I was Damn. like, holy shit, that's like one of the biggest stars on the planet right now. Right. And some other cool stars, so we're doing that. But yeah, I mean, I will say I grew up loving Nightmare Before Christmas, like younger. Now I don't really care about it. Sure. Maybe if I had a girlfriend that liked it, you know, maybe I would like it as much as my brother does with his wife. But Keegan with a girlfriend. Yeah, shout out to that. So (laughs) yeah, so we're doing that. No, that'd be cool. One uh, Saturday we're going to do, so October 30th, Saturday I'm going to Halloween Horror Nights and Universal for the day. And then Sunday is the game and then three days fucking Disneyland. Damn. So, and I, and set, no? the reason I want to do Disneyland so bad I, is for the Star Wars stuff. Last time okay. I was there was 2015 and it wasn't there. Right. So and now it is. And I like Star Wars. Yeah. A lot. Uh, so with all that being said, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, it's just sort of, I'm bringing that up to say like my headspace is like this race to that. Gotcha. Um, my prior headspace was the race to my grandmother, my, my Nana, as we called her. Always, always told us, you know, you should always have something to look forward to. Okay. And so Kigi lives his life a quarter mile at a time. Gotcha. Uh, and gotcha. the previous thing I was looking forward to was Halloween Kills. And now that's passed. And that's passed and we will discuss. And now it's it's all about uh, that trip. Sure. So awesome. I can't wait. Awesome. And Dune. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, I can't wait to see Dune, but we'll... We were talking before the pod that Eric doesn't care about Dune for some reason. Uh, you know, I, I told Keegan, if I don't watch it this weekend, I'll see it sometime next year on Blu-ray and tell him that it was the best thing I've seen. Uh, but to keep the pod going, we thought we'd transition into Unfortunately, some trivia. Yeah. It, oh, one other announcement. Okay. okay. Uh, on Monday this week, I officially received my third Pfizer booster shot. Now, I don't know when I'm going to be available to get it, but I can't wait. Yeah. So I, I am boosted Boost Mobile, as your buddy Dana Hernandez. Gosh, you, you got that said. cricket mobile. 
I do. Subscription plan. I have uh, Cellular One. There you go. You got that consumer direct shit. Yes, I got that. Um, I'm trying to think of another shitty one. Ting. Ting. Ting Mobile. That, that must be so bad because E-Dog, I ain't never even heard of it. It seems like it'd be up your alley because it's like cheap and shitty. Hey, Dot, you were just talking about how much money I've saved up, and I got there from just subscribing. Saving money on my car insurance by just buying things that were cheap and shitty. Okay, so before we do trivia, yes, we're going to review these massive movies. We're going to talk what we've been watching. Uh, hang on, but on the last episode of the podcast, we tried to do <laughs> trivia, and we epically failed. Because we got the same questions that we asked the previous episode. Yes. And I, and I know I said this last episode, but again, I shuffled the... All right, we'll see, Doc. All right, <laughs> we'll see. Right. So we're going to do, this is Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. At first Fuck I, Eric Hoff. At first I hated it, but then it was starting to grow on me. Yeah, you kind of like it. Yeah, okay. I like your shirt today, Doc. Oh, so that's a very family-friendly film that you're wearing today. Thank you, Doc. Okay. Uh, Eric is wearing a Cannibal Holocaust shirt. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So how, how do we do this? I just, we'll just, let's, you know, each each question is a different category. And we'll take turns with each category. And we'll just go down the cards? We'll just go down the fucking cards, All right, you duh. go first, Doc. All right, Doc. Horror edition, trivial pursuit. pursuit. Go ahead. Horror edition, trivial, trivial pursuit. pursuit. Okay, you dog going. 30 Days of Night was based on the graphic novel of the same name by what author? Uh, Steve Niles. That's one for Keegan. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. You want your first one? I sure do. In the opening scene of 28 Weeks Later... Who does Don desert to save himself? His wife, his son, his daughter, or his dog? Wife. I'm. Yes, that is correct. I was because you know I was thinking it was his whole family, so that got me a little fucked up. Uh, yes, Eric, I, you got I, it right. I remembered. I I, I immediately played that scene in my head, Don. But I haven't seen that movie in forever. Da, how good is that music? Oh, that's one of the best things about that, those two films is and he's, score. And, he, and they're just running down that hill. Oh, that's fire. And he's being chased by that. Like, and the that, like, camera like pans out and there's like a like bunch of infected. Helicopter shot while yes. he's running down the hill and he gets so good. Excellent. Um, that might be one of the greatest like zombie moments ever. And it's in Excellent. the sequel to 20. Okay. We, we, we shouldn't hold the podcast up. Go ahead, Eric. Hey, now we can do a whole episode on 28 Days Later. No, we can't. Okay. Who directed the original the Wizard of Gore. Oh, uh, it's um, fucking what's his name? The guy that did. Uh, is it Herschel Gordon Lewis? It is Herschel Gordon yeah. Lewis. Got it. Okay, Eric. That's number two for Keegan. Yes. In The Devil's Rejects. Okay. What is the name of the motel to which Otis and Baby first escape? God damn it. I don't know. The Chicken Fucker Hotel. I almost want to say it's called like the Titty Twister or something like that. Or is that where the That's they, from Dawn. Oh, you're right. Damn it. It's called Khaki Palms. Ah, okay. Kahiki uh, Palms. While Keegan tries to learn to read, did everybody see that first uh, pic of uh, the Munsters in costume? All I right. did. Where his wife is in the movie again. Duh, it's his fucking wife. Who gives a shit? I'm just kidding, dog. Go ahead. Read your fucking <laughs> question. <laughs> You get all the easy ones, Da. Who directed Martin? Oh, uh, it's uh, uh, George A. Romero. And Keegan takes the lead. Okay. Uh, this is a tough one, Eric. I'm sorry. Okay. In Dr. Chekyll and Mr. Hyde 1931. Okay. <laughs> I just watched it today. What? Which character is not a victim of Hyde? Ivy Pearson, Sir Danvers, Carew, or Dr. Lanyon? Easy. Uh, the third one. 
Dr. Lanyon? Yep. You got it. I know. I told you I watched it today. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Okay, number four. What Harry Potter franchise alum portrayed Arthur Kipps in The Woman in Black? Oh, uh, it's Danny Radcliffe. God damn it. God Keegan's damn it. on fire. Well, Keegan's on fire. Easy. What color is the reoccurring raincoat in Don't Look Now, 1973? Oh, that's easy. Uh, it's red. Yep, you got it. I know, da. Fucking good, da. Go ahead. <laughs> Ah, I hate Keegan so much. Who directed Hush? Mike Flanagan. <laughs> I'm getting like these fucking. What is this? Ones, I, I feel like this is like uh, Trivial Pursuit or Edition for beginners that you're reading. Yeah. Okay. When the dance is canceled in the present day, in My Bloody Valentine, okay, 1981. Okay. Where do the teenagers decide to hold their own party? Is it multiple choice? Uh no, no. Uh, I don't know. It's like the fucking town hall or some bullshit. No. In the fucking mine. Yes, you got it. <laughs> I was like, come on, the mine. Even even me, like on the first thought, I wouldn't have thought, but oh yeah, the mine. That's where they're like originally going to have it. That's where right. my head went to. Okay. Uh, last one for the card. Ooh. Yikes. By the end of Raw 2016. Julie Ducaru. What does her insatiable appetite for meat make? I'm going to start again. You'll get this one though. By the end of Raw, we love Raw. Uh, her this the this director's new film is now on VOD. By the end of Raw, oh, it is. It is. I can't wait. Titan. Yes, I'm glad you said it because I don't know how to pronounce it. By the end of Raw, what does her insatiable appetite for meat make protagonist Justine? Oh, a cannibal. You are correct. Boom. Raw done. All right, Doc. Hit me with that last one. Now, here's what sucks. We've both seen this movie. You're not going to be able to get. It. There's no way. In in the bird with the crystal plumage. Okay. Protagonist Sam Dalmas is a struggling writer from what country? Brazil. The United States. Ooh. Yikes, da. Ooh. Yikers. All right. And with the uh, easy questions continuing for Keegan. Fuck, Who I directed Alien? Ridley Scott. Okay. Okay. What is the relationship between Ginger and Bridget in Ginger Snaps? Sisters. He got it. Uh, duh. Okay, go ahead. Duh. I'm kidding. Uh, the movies Shivers and The Brood were influences on James Gunn when making what 2006 movie? Slither. You, I don't even got to look, but I'm going to. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, I feel like this is like this is going too well. Something's wrong here. Okay. The Have you not missed one? I don't think so. Let's but see. these have all been very easy. Duh, you've gotten every single fucking one so far. You're eight. For the, eight. The murder of what family member? Okay. Does Sheriff Wydell avenge? His brother. And fuck Groucho. His brother. I love that line in that movie. That whole bit when the guy comes in who's the Marx Brothers expert. And fuck Groucho. is great. So good. In what per... Oh. It's me, oh, it's my me bad asking dog. you. My bad, dog. Told you this is going too well. Okay. We may finally have a curveball for Keegan, Here we go, folks. Duh. Hold on to your seats. But this is definitely a film you've seen. Oh. What is the profession of Guy Woodhouse, the husband of Rosemary in Rosemary's Baby? Oh, fuck. Okay, so I love Rosemary's Baby. I would the not have profession. confessed that. profession. Unless I knew this we, answer. I, but I do. I mean, I don't think it's a secret that I do like Rosemary's Baby. The profession. Mm-hmm. Of the husband to Rosemary. Fuck. 
Uh, I'm going to have to take a guess. I can see his character too. I almost want to say he's like an actor. What's the answer? Duh, you're fucking right. I, I am? I said, yeah, fucking actor, duh. Duh, I got it, duh. duh! You're nine for nine right now, duh. Fuck yeah, duh. That that one felt good, Eric. Yeah, you that thought. That one felt good. You thought. You stopped and pondered, G. I was, it, it, it's like a Rolodex. Yeah. And that one was, ri- that, that one had mold and stuff on it. Like it, You took so long thinking that I spaced out and then you said actor and I was like, oh shit, you got it right. Fuck, duh. That, that was terrifying. Okay. All right, now ask me. In what Italian city is John Baxter restoring an old church in Don't Look Now, 1973? Rome. Venice, duh. Okay. Fuck, duh. <laughs> Why are you getting all the hard questions? Duh? I don't know, duh, but here, here's one that you... Here's another one you've seen, but could possibly... Fuck. Possibly slip up. Okay, it's ready. multiple choice, though, duh, so you got 33% chance of getting this shit right. In The Exorcist, 1973, the demon Pazuzu does not possess what character? Chris McNeil... Reagan McNeil or Father Damien Karras? Chris McNeil. You are correct. God damn it. I just happened to rewatch that two days ago. Oh, nice. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Can uh, I stop for a second? Sure. How good is that TV show? It. I only watched like the five, five episodes or so. You haven't seen, you haven't finished the first season? I know about the, the, the twist. But wait a minute. You haven't seen the second season either with the kids? No. In the foster home? Oh, no. duh, duh. I know it's only on DVD. Just watch it, duh. DVD, duh. I just, okay, maybe it's available to rent. Yeah, each I would episode. buy it on VOD. Duh, duh. How dare you use the word DVD in this house, Eric? God, damn. Okay. Okay, duh. Hit me with another <laughs> question I'm going to get wrong. This is tough, duh. What Christian ceremony is Karen attending on the day she is murdered in Alice, Sweet Alice? Her marriage. Her first communion, duh. Oh. Striking out. Damn. So she's like a child and she's murdered? Fuck. Yikes. I was like nine when I received my first Holy Communion. You know what? I'm sure you were. Yeah. Okay, Doc. I was as well. We'll get to that maybe in, in, we, a, we just in, might, a, yeah. in a show called Midnight Mass. Go ahead. Okay. The next easy one for Keegan. What member of the Hardesty family survives the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974? Sally or Franklin? You could just lie. <laughs> I don't want the, to, Don. Say the wrong answer. I just rewatched this two nights ago. Okay. Uh, this is did Sally. You, did you double the exorcist in TCM? I forgot to explain why. We'll do that in a minute. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's Sally. You are correct, huh? Okay. The killer in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage okay. wears what color gloves, Eric? Black. What? Black. Of course. Because it's a Jalulu. Okay, Don. I hate to fuck you up. Oh, this, okay. This is one you're not. That was get. two straight cards. Well, you got, you got, this is the last one. All right, Doug, go ahead. And this is a film from 1917. Yikes. Unless you have a great guess. Yikes. In Satan's Rhapsody. Ooh. What are the names of the two brothers who fall in love with Countess Alba de Altravita? Mm, Groucho Marx. So close. Tristano and Sergio. Got it. Hey, Doc. 15 out of 16. Wait, well, let's give me a, a round of applause, Da. Wait, there's six apiece, there's 12. So 11 out of 12, <laughs> Da. Listening to you try to do math live on the pod is great. Is most embarrassing. I'm terrible at math. In You're doing better than me. How about that? Are you ready? Yes, I am. In Matt Reeves' 2010, ooh, ooh, Let ooh, Me ooh, In. Ooh. Yes. Owen and Abby communicate through the wall using what method? Knocking. What method? I mean... I think it counts what you're saying. Uh, 
Morse code? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, to me, that's Morse code, but yes. All right, duh. All right, go ahead. You could get this, duh. The brain of the monster in Frankenstein, 1931, is obtained from which of the following places? Graveyard, university, prison, or morgue? And uh, I don't know, morgue. University. Damn it, duh. Fuck, duh. Okay, ready? But Over how many years was Eraserhead filmed? Uh, Ten. Five. Okay. In Videodrome, 1983. Yikes. The Civic TV station is located in what Canadian city? I am not the Videodrome or David Cronenberg guy. I've said that. What's but a, What's a big city in Canada, duh? Ontario. Ah, Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> is Ontario a country or is that a... No, it's Ontario, Canada. Okay. Show us how much we know about the Canadians. Our northern brothers. On what United Kingdom studio... Okay. Was the descent filmed? In what United Kingdom studio? Can I help a little bit? Studio Canal. No. Studio. I don't fucking know. Where? Okay, so for fun. Okay, for fun. An alternate. Where is all of Star Wars shot? Okay. It's Pinewood Studios. I want to fucking know that. Well, I just know because of Star Wars. Yeah, you know it, Doc. I like that Star Wars thing, Doc. All right, Eric. You ready? Yep. What Academy Award-winning director was a credited writer on 10 Cloverfield Lane? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, uh, Damien Chazelle. You are correct. Got it. It took me a second. I'm like, Academy Award. La La Land. Damien Chazelle. Whiplash. Yes. Yeah, so he was originally going to make – the reason I know that is Damien Chazelle was going to make 10 Chlorophyll Lane, but then he got, like, too big mm. and started getting all that, like, studio good shit like La La Land. Gotcha. And so he was like, I need somebody else to make this movie, and that's where Dan Trachtenberg came in. And now he's making a skull, so – Yes. Ask me, please. What is the first name of the child adopted by the thorns in The Omen? Damien? It's all for you. That's funny. There was two Damien's. Damien. Back. One was fictional and one was non-fictional. Good. All right. In Sinister 2012. Yikes. The pagan god Bagul is also referred to by what other name? Oh, shit. I'd like to revisit Sinister. You know, I never really liked Sinister. Um, now the truth comes out, ladies and gentlemen. I've always said that. It never, the film is always listed on like the scariest movies ever made. Right. Just because that fucking lawnmower scene. But to me, that lawnmower scene is startling. I don't think it's scary. I remember sitting it's in the theater and being like, God damn. Yeah, but that's not, uh, to me, we can have the conversation another day. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily scary. Um, Bagul, what's his other name? If Michael Myers is the boogeyman, then Bagul is... The Baba Yaga? Mr. Boogie. Damn it. <laughs> okay. In Friday the 13th, 1980. Yeah. Woo. What character is revealed to be the killer? Mrs. Voorhees. Well, I'm a friend of the Christie's. Yeah, an old friend, friend of the, the Christie's. Sorry, Eric. Okay. What actor from The Magnificent Seven, 1960, played the henchman of the principal character played by Vincent Price in The House of Wax, 1953? Huh. I didn't know this. Um, I'm going to say Lon Chaney. Charles Bronson? Yeah, okay. 
though well, he was credited as Charles Bukinski. This is a question that you would ask me, like okay. these easy ones. Okay, good. Finally, thank w- you. What was the name of the American remake of Juon? The Grudge? Yes. Of course. Right. Last one. All right, Eric. Keegan told me for like an hour when I got here not to tap on the table. Oh, while we were. I want to apologize very quickly for all the tapping in the last one. We'll try not to do that, and all we the, still will. All the tapping. All right. And what sucks is we're going to go out on this question but for trivia. What 1964 Japanese film is based off of a Shin Buddhist parable? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's a good movie. Uh, I'm going to say it's a Shin Buddhist, and it's Japanese? Oh, shit. No, I already put the fucking goddamn card up. <laughs> Was it Japanese? I don't remember now. No. Oh, yeah. Japanese film. Um, the uninvited. Uh, Onibaba. Oh, and if you have Baba not, Yaga, if you have not heard about Onibaba, it's definitely one E Dog recommends. It's about these two women, and it's like 15th century feudal Japan, right? And it's this woman and her daughter-in-law, and uh, the son, the daughter-in-law's husband, has gone off to fight, right? And he hasn't returned. So it's these two women left to struggle, right? So what they do is they walk the countryside looking for fallen soldiers to rob them of their armor and any other belongings that they can have so they can sell them, right? So the daughter-in-law, she ain't having in this no more. This is no lifestyle to live. She wants to go out. She wants to meet men. She wants to fuck. She doesn't want to live with her fucking mother-in-law, right? So she starts going out at night. But the mother needs her. This is their fucking you know, hustle that they've got going on. If the mother doesn't have the daughter-in-law, then she can't accomplish it, right? So she starts putting on this scary demon face to keep the daughter-in-law from going out at night. Yes. But one night, she can't get the fucking mask off no Ooh, more. It's goosebumps. And she, tan- she transforms into the demon. Onibaba. Onibaba. Got it. And with that, Eric, thank you so much. That was, now I'm going to do what Keegan said not to do. Horror edition, trivial pursuit. Horror edition, trivial pursuit. Fuck Eric Hoff. All right. That was good. Yeah, I like that. That that was much better than our last attempt at trivia. That went well. That went well. And with that. I just want her to say that one time. That went well. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Eric has a ton of what he's been watching. I do. And I have a bunch of rewatches. And if you could guess, the stuff I watch is new. The stuff Keegan watches, rewatch. You know what? I like rewatching films, but I know I should talk to you for that, Doc. Yeah. So, sorry. That's like a. I'm gonna be honest. Can I just be brutally honest with you right no. now? No. Nope. Right here on the podcast. No. Um. Dana and I have an inside joke about how much you watch Trick or Treat. Oh yeah, once yeah. a year. Oh, it's much more than that to us. Oh no. <laughs> no, once a year. Okay, so yeah, where do we start? Oh, uh, I think you should start with your. Oh, especially after you made such a good joke. Okay. I'm going to start with Death Rider in the House of Vampires. Okay? You don't want to start with that Squid Game thing. 
that's not really horror. I, Ooh, think, I think it's like torture yikes, porn. Zinger. Think tor- you know what? Okay. I didn't I'm watch gonna, it. I, I'm not going to watch okay. it. Okay. I actually want to talk about Squid Game now that you brought it up, bitch. <laughs> okay. So I'm watching Squid Game with my mom, right? We're, we're four episodes into yes. it, right? And it's like the biggest thing ever for Netflix. Am I right? Yes. Do you know what I think of when I think of Squid Game? When I was like in high school, finding movies like Itchy the Killer, uh, Man Bites Dog, it's because it's these foreign films that are like violent and they center on these like themes of like oppression and poverty. And I think it's wild that, you know, those are like films I had to like seek out, like read the internet to like try to find, you know, meanwhile, just a kajillion billion fucking people are watching Squid Game. Yeah. It is that kind of blows me the, the fuck away. The phenomenon of like it's in all media. It's not just like Netflix or streaming, but like the phenomenon that that like genre storytelling has like invaded. It's very weird to me. Like yes. I'm not against it in any way. It's great. We're getting so many things that are good because of it, but I just find it so odd. Like I'll, I'll like I remember when Stranger Things. Can I tell a quick story? Go ahead. When Stranger Things was first coming out, I saw the trailer for it. And at this time, it may be hard for you guys to realize Stranger Things wasn't anything. Right. Right. And it wasn't I, hit yet. this trailer came out on Netflix's uh, YouTube channel I, and I clicked it and I sent it to my brother and I, and I put in it, I said, hey, uh, Netflix is making a kids on bikes uh, TV show. Hmm. I said, we, we have to look out for this. Came out. No one knew anything. Watched it, loved it, cried, thought this is this is made for me. You know, I'm the Super Eight guy, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, you know everything else is like right, like Stand by Me or or ET and everything else, right? But at the time, you know, this is media I knew I was gonna like, couldn't wait, loved it. It ended. That was it. I remember as that July ended, that July ended, and it was literally like. I, I was people I've never talked to about genre stuff ever. Like, oh my god, have you seen Stranger Things? I'm like, the show where the little girl has powers. Yeah, I'm like, you guys like Stranger Things? Like, what the right. fuck? Again, that's great. It's just I, I always. It's not because they like the stuff I like. It's more so like, do you really like this? Like, I I don't know. Right. You know, it's just I think it's so crazy but now as this has gone on it's been so many genre things are so big now you know it's it's inter- okay fuck i'm gonna come off as elitist right and i'm not trying and, to do that i apologize you know? for coming off as elitist but let me ask you this though. like remember bird box like everybody freaked out about bird box i'm right. like you, you that just, fucking movie with mgk right you you just said you really like stranger things i love it so so dana was telling me that i guess Monday, a bunch of his coworkers were talking about Halloween Kills. Okay. But they all had like the timelines like fucked up. And like some people thought like the opening sequence actually was from like the original film. (laughs) So I guess what I'm getting at is like, yes, a lot of people are watching these things, but do they actually care? And does it, and and why should it matter to us, right? And Because we care. I know, I know, and I get that, but I just find it so odd. And so like this phenomenon that that comes around, you guys all know what I'm talking about. Like uh, a big one obviously was was Bird Box. And now, you know, I just hear Squid Game. I'm like that, that, and I've never even seen a second of it, but I'm guessing it's like that 
sort of like one versus 100 battle royale with a game show where people die. My first thought was like cube. My first thought was cube. I'm like, okay, it's like a cube thing. It's definitely like this dystopian setting. Right. And then my second thoughts were like um, that that movie, The Circle, I think that was called. Mm, I didn't watch that one. Um, and then Re- Watson? Re- no, not that. Uh, I can't remember. And then there was a recent movie called The Platform. Right. right? That was also that's Netflix. So, and that sort of reminded me of that. And it, it seems like they're, people love these types of things. Right. And I'm sure I'll like Squid Game. I'm not, a, it, it's just, it's been weird. Once Squid Game is over for my mom and I, I'm going to show her Cheap Thrills. Uh, Cheap Thrills is fucking amazing. Because that's what it is. It's people doing like this crazy wild shit right. for money, but they could like lose their life. I, I feel like genre filmmaking was always big, but not this big. Like, especially and like. Do you think it's because of streaming? Do we have theme streaming to think for Maybe, that? and maybe people are more susceptible to like, uh, especially scary storytelling when they can just click it and turn it off at home. Sure. Where like you have this like uh, contract that you have to go watch this whole movie because you bought a ticket. Right. And so I could see that, but it also like Marvel, right? Marvel is uh, uh, genre, right? It's, it's, it's sci-fi comic book movies basically mm-hmm. at this point. And those are like the biggest thing on the planet, which again, I'm not against either. I like a lot of those movies but it's just very weird. Like it was not cool when I was in high school. Like if you were wearing a horror t-shirt, you were like one of the nerds. Okay. And so it's just been odd. Now, do we get a ton of stuff because of it? Yes, but it's just weird. And, uh, I have a great example. Like recently I was scrolling on Facebook and I got an old Navy ad, old Navy, like the clothing company. And it was a fucking scream t-shirt Weird. old Navy. And and it was scream night, the original film. Yeah. And it was like this artsy poster. And then I, I remember I recently got like a, a, a Michael Myers shirt recommended to me with like uh, Japanese lettering on it from like Hot Topic. And I was like, what is going on? Like, it's just, right. you know, I feel like Something these things so obscure are now is just so common. Right. And maybe that took me too long to explain. But yeah, it's just been like, it's great, you know, at the same time. But it's just, it's weird. I guess my final question horror is. Horror is cool now. I love horror films. So I guess that's a good thing. Uh, I guess my final question is, you know, of all the people that watch Squid Game, who would give a fuck about something like Itchy the Killer or Man Bites Dog? Okay, so that's my first thought with, like, Game of Thrones, right? So Game of Thrones is this huge fantasy TV show that everybody loves. And my first thought is, like, God, I hope you guys went and saw that Warcraft movie when it came out. Like, people those, like, do different things? I mean, one's a video game adaptation. Maybe I'm, maybe a similar so, setting to, to like sorry one is like violent and like sexy and like the other one's just like CGI video game shit right I guess sword and sorcery is all the same thing to me okay um, and maybe that's my bias but like I always think like man I hope you guys watch like the Pet Cemetery remake if you like remember remember how big Pennywise was and and it chapter one sure and my thought you know of course is like wow, I hope you go see all these fucking Stephen King movies you know whenever uh, the 2017 it came out. Uh, we went like Thursday night, me and Dana. I don't know if you were there. Maybe, I don't remember. But I remember they had a sign on the door that said like the show and we were going to was already sold out. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And it was just like a packed auditorium. And I'm like, where are you motherfuckers normally? Yeah, and and, that, and that's like, and the same thing with like, so this recently, Midnight Mass on a, on a much lesser level, but like I'm hearing like normal people watch Midnight Mass. Mm. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> What did you think of it? Like, right. I'm always like interested. Like, did you, you know, still get those same concepts that like really spoke to me, or was it just like cool violence, which which is fine, mm. but I just wonder. You know, I always I don't know. Like, I mean, like Get Out made quite a bit of money, and Get Out is like about so many things, and I'm always wondering. Like, did you guys get Get Out? 
<laughs> or 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 was it just like fun? Because it was like genre. an in thing, maybe as well. Yeah, you know? yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. So I mean, I just thought that'd be fun to discuss when we, while bringing up Squid Game. I did my best to um, recommend *Malignant* to as many coworkers as I oh. could, <laughs> and I wonder what they thought of it. Right. Yeah. I, I don't begrudge anybody that doesn't like *Malignant*. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it, but. Um, it is something where it's like, man, I hope you guys go see Malignant. Right. You know, uh, while everybody's, you know, a good example would be like, don't breathe or don't breathe too. Like, you know, like you guys like horror, go see all this shit. Right. And, and, and people exactly. do. And it's the only, th- right. Like, um, big comic book movies and horror are the only two things that actually make money at the box office now. And so they do go see horror movies. It's just, it's just weird. It's just weird. I guess all I'm speaking to is that horror is cool. Like I said. Which is great. We get a lot more shit because of it. I'll tell you that. Right. I mean, like Doctor Sleep would not exist. That movie that Mike Flanagan made. Sure. If horror wasn't as cool as it is right now. Uh, I mean, and there's like so much just like straight to VOD shit. Like I couldn't keep up with that. No, I. I, I don't know if any of it's good. I still can't. Right. Okay. So before that whole tangent. Sorry. Started, yes. I apologize. I was going to talk about Death Rider <laughs> in the House of Vampires. This came out the same weekend that the new Candyman came out, which was the 27th of August. And this is Glenn Danzig's new vampire western. And whenever it was announced that Glenn Danzig was going to do a vampire western, I thought my heart was going to explode from uh, joy. Because his last movie was so good. Is, so if, if you saw Veronica, you'd know what you're in for. Like legitimately bad filmmaking. And I feel like Veronica is forgivable. It's like your first film, right? But like your second time around... I would have thought he would have picked up something. I mean, Eli Roth was on the set. Eli Roth wasn't like, hey, do this. I guess not. Uh, uh, Let me just say, Eli Roth's name has been on a lot of things that aren't good. Okay, you got me there. But uh, the the main, uh, two other big names that are in Death Rider in the House of Vampires is Devin Sawa. He plays the lead. Yep. Love Devin Sawa. And Danny Trejo, you know, not maybe... The biggest person, but a recognizable name, right? Yes. So in the film, everybody is fucking vampires, okay? And Devin Sawa arrives at this place called Sanctuary. And Sanctuary is a brothel, bar, safe place for vampires to just hang out, gamble, drink, right? The titty twister. Basically, right? But everyone's vampires here. Uh, And the guy who owns or who runs it, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Uh, he has Devin Sawa's sister. So he goes there to save his sister. And as, um, as, a, and as I am explaining this, I'm actually giving the film a bit more credit, uh, for how much it actually does make sense. This, the, the, a lot of that, we just kind of had a piece together by myself. Okay. okay. So it's a terrible fucking movie. Duh. It's bad. Shots linger on than they should have. It's like he didn't know when to yell cut. There's just like zooms into like people's faces or like the background that just don't cut away. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing, Doc? And what I thought was super interesting. You're calling was, Danzig Doc. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I mean, I enjoyed it. I liked it a bunch. I can't wait until it gets a blue release so I can watch it again. But I think what made it so fun was uh, my my theatrical going experience for the film. So uh, I check, and not even the draft house got fucking uh, Death Rider. And uh, the theater that we went to go watch uh, King of the Monsters in? Uh, the Premier Cinemas. They got Death Rider. 
only one showing at 9.30 p.m. Good. And I bet it was a, uh, there, there's a word for that. It's a type of screening. Uh, fuck. I thought I'd surface it. Go ahead. Uh, it's like a one I'm, night only thing. I'm thinking maybe it was like an unrated issue because uh, I forget if it was Rue Morgue or Fangoria, but this guy reviewed it for one of those outlets and this guy's in New York and he said the same thing. And that kind of blew me the fuck away that even in New York City, there's only going to be one screening. I can't remember what those are called. Uh, there's a company that does those like, uh, it's like film film rise or something like that. It, it's not that, but so it's not because it was unrated. It's just, they well, only it could put be, it but in the theater I, for one. I'm night. guessing they did it through that program where they do like a one night only release gotcha. and all that. I, I can't remember what that's called. So, you know, we're driving into El Paso like a bat out of hell. I'm, I'm all worried. Like we got to fucking get to the theater on time. Right. We get there. It's only, me, Dana, and Andrew in the auditorium. We're the only fucking people at the 9.30 showing of Death Rider in El Paso, Texas. Which, by the way, you've seen horror punk shows there, and people are at them. You are 100% correct. That's yes. like where I've seen the majority of the horror punk shows. And so, like, it turned into fucking, uh, what's that fucking show where, like, they make fun of, like, shitty movies? Uh, Mystery Science Theater. It turned into fucking Mystery Science nice. Theater, just the three of us. You know, we all had candy and popcorn, and we're just shit-talking the film the entire time, which almost makes me feel bad, because, yes, it was a shitty movie, but I didn't give the movie the full benefit of the doubt, because I'm just hucking it up with Andrew and Dana right. for this entire 90 minutes. So, if you didn't mind Veronica, or if you're looking for a movie that's so bad it's fucking awful... Man, do I recommend Death Rider in the House of Vampires. Nice. Yep. Uh, like I said, I have a bunch of fucking rewatches, so I feel like all my shit's going to be boring. Hit him, um, hit him with so the Maybe I'll talk more about the releases because some of these are interesting. Okay. I rewatched WNUF Halloween special. Um, this is like a movie that if you're in like the know, if you know, you know. Uh, the WNUF Halloween special is uh, is this little public access movie that is made to look like real public access, like it's being played on a local channel, mm-hmm. and you know it has these news clips and and this it it, it and commercials that are all fake, like uh, very similar to like Adam Green's uh, 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 Slap Chop. What is it called? What is the actual fuck? Damn oh, it! Man. Uh, when you're jacking your fucking jack pumpkins. chop, jack chop. Yeah, there you go. Because you're gonna be dragging all day when you're jacking your fucking pumpkins away, kid. Um, yeah. Very similar to that, like commercials like that. Head down to the carnival this weekend for free pony rides. And you're jacking your fucking pumpkin. Shit like that. And um, But it all culminates in like this uh, Halloween special where they go to this haunted house and there's this reporter and uh, they have these very Warren-like characters that that conjure up spirits in this haunted house but live on TV. It, WNUF Halloween special is simply just a reason to relive like those old public access uh, movies and TV shows and uh, reporting that used to go on back then where you'd accidentally click it and you'd see, you know, I'm just going to throw out the word like Sven Gulli or, or even it's, it's even like an Elvira type thing where it's, or even Joe Bob. Uh, you're not necessarily watching a movie, but it's that vibe of like, you're hanging out with these people on public access TV. Gotcha. Uh, it's awesome. I love it. It recently got a release from Severin, I believe. Are you serious? Vinegar Syndrome. That makes sense. Oh, God. Yes, Vinegar Syndrome. Sorry. It recently got a release from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, have they, you ordered from them ever, period? Yes. Okay. I have the uh, Christmas Evil Blu-ray from them, and I have... Oh, I don't want to tell you, Da. I have that... Uh-oh. Oh, wait. 
Maybe that's vinegar syndrome. I get them mixed up. Uh, I don't remember. We're I, talking about vinegar syndrome. Yeah, but I have Jack Frost. Is that uh, Isn't Severin? Like MVD or something? No, I have the original Jack Frost. Okay, and I, I don't believe, know who put that out. I believe it's vinegar, vinegar syndrome. Okay. And I have Christmas Evil from them. Anyways, Vinegar Syndrome put this out on a Blu-ray, which is interesting because obviously the film is made to look, uh, it's four by three and it's made to look like it was on a VHS and on the Blu-ray, it still looks like that. Nice. But the, but having this, you know, the best copy of it and it being a Blu-ray, uh, it has special features, extra commercials, extra reels. I watched a bunch of it and it's just awesome. You know, it's, I'm sorry, you said you, you do have this. Yes. Okay. And it's cool because like if you like the WNUF Halloween special, this is like a cool little collector's Blu-ray to have. It's only 20 bucks, ordered it on their website, got the uh, the ex- the limited edition slip cover that looks like a, a VHS case. Gotcha. And uh, I watched it and I watched all the special features and there was some making of in there in a little bit and it's awesome. So WNUF Halloween special. I've talked about it before. Again, you know, it's funny. You always think watching it like it's going to blow up into some crazy horror movie. It does, but not really. It's just fun. If you want to feel like it's like Halloween night and you're sitting around watching, you know, while people are trick-or-treating, mm. it's more about the atmosphere. And if you if you dig that sort of nostalgic atmosphere, uh, WNUF Halloween special, there's a Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome, and it's awesome. So that is WF. WNUF Halloween special. Eric, your next thing. Awesome. Yes. Okay. Uh, next thing I got on my list is a 1982 film called Midnight. Uh, this is something Severin uh, recently put out. And uh, the reason I found out about this was because a uh, full-time horror junkie posted this. Uh, Shout the, out. Yep. And uh, what a, what a, what that else? account is so... There are so many recommendations it's that wild. I can barely even keep up. Right. Yeah. And, and fortunately, this is one I... Uh, that caught me because uh, this is something I ended up liking a yeah. bunch. Shout out. Uh, this was written and directed by John Russo. Okay. John Russo co-wrote Night of the Living Dead with uh, Romero. Who? George A. Romero. And this was also shot in Pennsylvania. So I was just like super on board to see like, okay, well, what is what can this guy do on his own, right? It's, it's, to my knowledge, this is the first John Russo film I've seen, right? Yes. And it's about this girl who gets kidnapped by a crazy backwoods satanic family and it's like pretty the the buckners it's pretty nasty like they might be sorry if i have to do this they might be uh backwoods uh uh zombie family Mm. but there are backwoods (laughs) zombie family and the buckners uh gavin in the woods yes yeah go ahead um and what i mean by nasty is just kind of how mean-spirited uh it is. Okay. Which is something that we like. Of course. Right. So, I mean, this is like no Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but if you're like looking for that something so specific, Backwoods Crazy Scary Family, man, check out Midnight. Nice. This, was, this one was a lot of fun. Just titled Midnight. Just titled Midnight, 1982, John Russo. And that was put out by... Severin. Nice. Yes. What you got, Doc? I'll do another rewatch, like I said, so another get ready. Rewatch. But, ag- <clears throat> but again, <clears throat> it's about the releases. Uh, so I got these Halloween 4Ks, right? Yay. Oh, shit. Right. I hear they're just beautiful, Doc. Yeah. So I think the interesting thing to talk about with the first film is that there already was a 4K disc yes. of it, but it was made from a uh, inner positive, which is more like a print. And this new one is a scan of the actual negative, And then uh, Dean Cundy supervised the coloring on it. 
So this is like a brand new 4K transfer, even though there already was a 4K transfer. All of that's to say, yeah, it looks great again, right? So like this Halloween is probably the most, Halloween 1978 is probably the most uh, recolorized, recolor, sorry, recolor timed film in history. When I originally saw Halloween back in, when I was a kid, it was blue. Okay. Uh, all of Halloween looked blue. Every scene was blue. It had a blue hue to it. And so for me, it's actually funny because like that's the Halloween that I ad- identify with because yeah. I grew up watching this and I used to have the DVD and the DVD had that blue color timing and it was just blue. And so Halloween always to me, like when I see it in my head, it's, it's blue. It has a, a blue tone. Well, now the last uh, 4K was like very brown. And it was very, when I say brown, more like tan. And uh, I was like, huh. And that one wasn't supervised by Dean Cundy, but it but the, it was 4K, so it looked really good. So I was like, well, I guess this is the best it'll be. Well, now they've done this, and it's the best of all the worlds. Mm. Um, Dean Cundy never made it blue. I'm only bringing that up to say that's how many color versions, uh, how many color timing uh, additions there are. To say even the one that I remember is not even what's made anymore. What came out now is, is it's beautiful. I mean, that's really all you need to know, right? Without seeing it, it's kind of hard just to say, oh, it's 4K, it looks great. But this new color timing on it and the 4K scan, uh, it's the best Halloween's ever looked. Mm. And so it's just exciting. It's awesome. You know, I get this like serotonin rush uh, when I know I'm watching something in its best version. Mm. And I don't think this is something you really care about, Eric, right? Like it doesn't really appeal to you like it does to me. But like the the fact that I know it's 4K resolution, it's higher bit rate, and it's the best it's supposed to look, mm-hmm. that gets me like gets you all ex- hard. Dog. Yes, exactly. It gets me excited. Um, <laughs> and then guess what? <laughs> Halloween's fucking amazing. So uh, Just it's a awesome. Cherry on top. It's awesome. So that release is great. I'll talk. All the releases look that good. I've only, um, all of them look better. Two and three don't look. They didn't get that big of an upgrade because they used the same print. They didn't say they did, but. What it looks like is, I'm on the forums. It looks like they use the same print from those steel books. I don't know if you remember that um, Screen Factory did a Halloween 2 and Halloween 3 steel books. And those were Blu-rays, not 4K discs, but they had the new 4K scans on them. And that is what I believe they used as the source for these new 4Ks. So it's actually, the real revelation is Halloween 1 because of the new color timing. And uh, why don't I just do this? I'll throw this one in. Halloween 4. Okay. Halloween four and five always had horrible HD transfers. Uh, they look like they're like TV transfers, like from like they were upscaled DVDs or something. Well, now they look fucking amazing. Mm. Uh, so what's so funny is Halloween four and five, four is like a celebrated film now loved in the genre, right? Okay. Yes. Five is not. And I just think it's so funny that those two got these massive 4k upgrades, upgrades. brand new scans, the best they'll ever, they'll never, because because they're the, Halloween might look better someday because it's fucking Halloween. So they, they like to sell that movie. Sure. This is as good as four and five are ever going to look, and they look amazing. I haven't watched five yet, but I've seen screenshots. But I did watch four, and it just, you know, all you need to know is it looks great. Um, it's so, so much better. Uh, this is completely brand new scan of the original negative, and it's awesome. Um, and I love Halloween four. Let me ask you this. If tomorrow Scream Factory announced that they're going to do Sixth and Resurrection 
on 4K. You picking them up? 100%. A pre-order first day, especially because that means H2O, right? Uh, and I love H2O. But what, dude? I'm glad you brought up six because I thought about it. Like I, I was talking to my brother, and I was like, "What if they did six in 4K? Like we like six now. Sure, six is don't nobody freak out, don't panic. Six is not a good movie. Like it's not a good movie. And you know what's awful is I prefer the theatrical cut. I like the producer's cut. I know. Um, and I like it just cause that fucking washing machine, but it's so it's hilarious to think about like, that's the era that we're in now. Six is owned by dimension and four and five aren't, but let's say dimension and Weinstein wanted to do it with screen factory, which, uh, did you hear all the problems in that? Um, if that ever did happen, like that's the era we're in now, we feel like we could get right. Uh, curse of Michael Myers, Halloween six on a 4k. Okay. Uh, we're not currently set to get that, but how funny would it be if we did? Uh, and then especially like resurrection, uh, that's how I felt about five. Like five is, we like five, sure, but five is not a good movie in my opinion. And it has a 4k release. <laughs> like, it's so funny to me. Um, so anyways, that is Halloween and Halloween four. uh, four. Um, I know I've talked a lot. The reason I watched Halloween four was actually why I watched the other films I was telling you I watched. I'm preparing for those houses, for the uh, houses at- uh, So you can uh, be familiar with the territory. Yeah, Universal, uh, we're going to Halloween Horror Nights, and the houses go uh, Halloween 4, uh, The Exorcist, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Haunting, oh. Haunting of Hill House. That's why you're rewatching these films. Yes, that was why I was rewatching those movies, just because, I mean, of course I know TCM like the back of my hand, but it, I just thought it'd be fun. Oh yeah, who survives at the end, Sally or Franklin? Franklin, That's fuck! A joke. <laughs> so there you go. That was why I was rewatching those. Rewatched a little bit of Haunting a Hill House with my brother because he finally watched it for the first time. Mm. Haunting a Hill House is one of the best things ever made. It's good. Period. Eric. Is it time for me to go? It is. Sorry. Okay. Uh, next thing I'm going to talk about is a new Netflix film that actually kind of blew me the fuck away. Squid Game. Uh, no one gets out alive. Have oh, okay. Have you heard of this film, I have Doc? heard of this. No, of course I haven't seen it. Okay, the reason I was excited to watch it is because it's so similar, the idea, uh, to his house. If you remember- I My said, house. Uh, Bill Wilkins, yes. He's going to be- It's going to be part three of this trilogy. It's his house. No one gets alive than my house. Did Bill you Wilkins. see that, that when Conjuring uh, Devil Maybe Do It came out on Blu-ray, it says Conjuring 3 now? I did not see that. But that's so annoying. Tell me you got the Bill Wilkins reference in Malignant whenever. Whoa, 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 whoa. spoilers? No spoilers. There's a there's a part where a killer uh, the, the killer is killing somebody, and she goes, "Get out of my house!" And then our main character goes, "My house!" Yes. I mean that has to be a Bill Re Bill Wilkins reference, right? My name is Bill Wilkins, and I am seven day three years old. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways. <laughs> uh, what an obscure thing to always talk about. <laughs> well, I'm sure our listeners know my house. So, uh, no one gets out alive is about a woman who's a migrant. You were referring to his house earlier. Yeah, because they're so. I know, and I just brought up the stupid my house thing that we do. Go ahead. His house, my house, everybody's house. House party. Yes. Um, don't get me started on kid and play. We're talking horror films. Okay, go ahead. You know how much I like kid and play. Okay. Migrant. How dare you bring it up? Okay, migrant moves to Cleveland, Ohio. I think uh, you know she has to get a job uh, that's like under the table because she's an undocumented uh, citizen. Okay, everybody just treats her like shit, but she has to be the one to apologize uh, 
to people, you know, because she's so afraid of losing, uh, you know, her job. And she finds this boarding Fucking house. job. Yeah. She finds this boarding house that, like, rents out rooms insanely cheap. And, you know, she takes it because, you know, she doesn't have a lot of money. And uh, it's these two dudes that run uh, this house. So, you know, it's already kind of questionable because they only rent rooms to women. Ooh. Right? So, I'm going to keep this short because I don't want to spoil. I'm going to keep this real brief, G. Because I don't want to spoil no one gets out of life. I'm just going to say the boarding house is haunted. Okay. Okay. But then, something happens in like, I don't know, the last third of the film. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? This is so crazy. So nuts. That I kind of couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like, and I know I'm kind of like overhyping it right now. Uh, I got Melissa to watch it and she texted me and she was like, what the fuck is going on? And I was like, I know it's just that trippy. Shout out to Melissa. This film is produced by David Bruckner. Oh, and if you remember the ritual, uh huh, something happens in the ritual that happens in no one gets alive. That kind of just blew me the fuck away. And I urge you guys, please give no one gets out alive a chance. Is just, it that supermarket thing? Not the supermarket thing. Do you know what I'm talking about in the ritual? Uh, yes. Like in like a gas station. Oh no no not okay that. not that. Uh no it's, that made my jaw drop okay. in the ritual. Okay no I know what you're talking about now and it's not that I but that's like filmmaking stuff that is so fucking cool in that movie right. Um the way you're describing this uh okay. making you this is kind of how I felt about like the night house which I'm not saying they're similar tone or films. But I just didn't know how to talk about it because I like I heard you say like I don't want to overhype it. And that was how I felt about the Nighthouse. I remember when we talked about it. I was like, look, there's no giant monster coming out of the lake in the Nighthouse. Like it's not like gonna right. fucking. It's just so fucking good, and it blew my mind. Um, so I I kind of know that's kind of what I'm hearing from you from this. There might be something in the lake. In okay. This film. Okay. And I I don't want people to sleep on this film because it's just so fucking Well, wacky. the fact that Bruckner's name is attached to it, it has me more intrigued. And, and I just want everybody to experience the fucking weirdness of no one gets out alive. Uh, I know I just said I don't want to overhype it, but it, I wouldn't like, don't be shocked if this is like number 10. It wasn't my, really for me, Doc. On my favorite films of 2021. Okay. Like, that's how much I enjoyed. Is Halloween Kills even going to make your list? Uh, we'll get there. Okay. That's how much I enjoyed No One Gets Out Alive. Sure. What else? I got a few more, Da. Well, I have more rewatches. Okay. Uh, no, no. you know what? So I'll let you go after Big this. Big Poppy on the screen right now. Uh, I'm surprised you know who that is. I know who that is. David, or- David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Okay. So the next one I got is another uh, Netflix I film. was going to go next. You said go. No, I, I said I'll just rattle these and then okay. you go. Fucking rattle, Da. No, all I was going to say was I rewatched TCM. Okay. Uh, I have that Blu-ray from fucking... Um, Dark Sky? Yeah, yes. And it's the best it's ever looked to me. Uh, there is a 4K overseas. There's not a 4K of it here. This is a new 4K scan. Uh, fuck that Dark Sky Blu-ray. I bought it at fucking um, Target for $10 of the okay. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's the best it's ever looked. It is so fucking pretty. Uh, <laughs> so Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not expensive to get looking. Like, you don't have to spend... $30 like for these Halloween 4Ks. Just buy that fucking... There's a steelbook on Amazon for like $11. Right. And it has that print and it's so fucking good. Um, TCM always, of course, just the only thing I'll say about it is always reminds me how much... Because the film is great. 
But Toby Hooper films don't ultimately make sense, like how good they are, until the end. Mm. Because for me, Toby Hooper is great and TCM is great, but it's not until the chainsaw gets Revan. Gotcha. And it's just screaming. Revan, he said. It's Revan and they're screaming and everybody's fucking screaming. The, the first time I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre terrified me. Greatest, was, greatest thing ever. And I was like in the eighth grade and that shit terrified me. Spoilers, when Sally's in the back of the truck, covered in blood, screaming and laughing, and and it it is you know goes back and forth between leather leather face and leather face is doing the I call it his chainsaw dance. Is that what it's referred to? I, I think so. Um, that is cinematic bliss. Mm. There is nothing that beats that moment in cinema. Uh, that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the greatest thing ever. Uh, I don't know why this sticks so well into my head. Uh, but the first time I watched uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like I said, I was probably in middle school. Uh, my father at the time, uh, he worked in the National Park Service his whole career, uh, retired from the Carlsbad Caverns here, and he was the park historian. And so his task was often like writing various pieces on right the park. somebody or something. Right. And so this particular, it was a Sunday, it was late afternoon. It was probably this time of the year. It was getting dark early. Uh, my father was writing a piece on somebody, and he wanted to go to the cemetery uh, to take pictures of this person's headstones. And I went with him because I was bugging him. I was like, can you take me to Hastings afterwards? I don't know why. I was already like set on, oh, I want to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. And, I, and I don't know where that idea came into Did my Did you head. watch the VHS that they had yeah, there? Yeah, I fucking rented. So, so after we go to the cemetery. I, it, which, you know what's funny? I rented that same VHS. With the red and orange yep. cover? Yeah. Yep. So I, I only had one. Right. So I, I don't know. Just I guess because the fact I went to the cemetery first with my dad, that like adds like this like extra meaning to seeing Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time. Went, rented it, turned it on, and I was fucking terrified. Specifically during during like the dinner scene when everybody's just fucking wailing. Yes. And everybody's just fucking screaming, dying. They're just like close-ups on Sally's eye. I was terrified. Now. Well, that, and then by the end of it, they have like grandpa with the hammer, but right. they're all just like, I wouldn't say they're screaming, but they're all just yelling Yes, and she's screaming and it's just, and it, 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 again, Toby Hooper doesn't make sense until the end of his movies. And it's like, this is cinematic, uh, gold. Mm. Eric, what's your next thing? Okay. Is it it's another next? Oh, film. the other example of that is eaten alive. Eaten alive. Cause eaten alive. I was like, you know, this isn't that good. And the final 20 minutes is screaming and running and chainsaw. Or it's a uh, weed eater, actually. Is it a weed eater? Or something like that. Is it like a scythe or something? I don't remember, dog. Okay. Um, all I know is that the final 20 minutes of Eating Alive, I was like, all right, yeah, I get it now. Uh, okay, so the film I'm going to talk about next, There's Someone Inside Your House. Uh, this is kind of interesting because I just talked about how No One Gets Alive is produced by David Bruckner. Uh, well, There's Somebody Inside Your House was produced by James Wan. It even opens with the Atomic Monster nice. uh, logo. Yeah. Uh, the fanfare. Okay. I'm going to ask some shit, and I'm being serious. <laughs> okay? Okay. Okay. When you say a slasher film. Sure. Are all slasher movies teen slasher movies? No. Or are you supposed to say this is a teen slasher? Because this is a teen slasher, but am I just being redundant by saying that? No, I mean, I, subgenre, right? Like, I don't think you're next. There's a single teen and you're next, but that's a slasher movie. I guess in my head, a slasher film is a masked or unmasked. We know his identity. We don't know their identity. Killing people. Sure. And to me, you're next. 
It's like more home invasion. But um, I mean, I guess this is all just fucking subjective, so I'm just going to go home. Okay. Bye. No, but so so I guess, but I'm being serious. Like, when you say slasher, do you just assume it's children or you think of something like you're next? Um, I assume it's being stalked and killed usually at least once with a knife. I mean, there's definitely that slasher aspect, but I guess because... There's something else going on in your next, the home invasion. That's why I wouldn't jump to calling your next a slasher. Whereas I, a slasher, like there's someone inside your house on Friday the Thirteenth, it's just somebody killing kids. I have to, I have to say, for me, slasher, really, my, the the thing I would put on a slasher is the ensemble nature of it, the the different the, cast of okay. characters. Gotcha. The different types of characters. Yes, and usually they're archetypes in some way, uh, as made famous in uh, Cabin in the Woods. Right. And I'm not just saying that because of that. Like when I think of my favorite slashers, I, you know, they all have archetypes like uh, the nerd, the, you know, the girl that sleeps with people, the girl that doesn't, the jock, the idiot, the fool, the, uh, you know, the stoners, even, stoners. right? Stoners. Um, I'm not even thinking of it. What's funny is I wasn't even referring to Cabin in the Woods. I was actually thinking of Friday 13th, part three, for some reason in my head. When naming uh, the types of characters. Yes. That's funny. And so, you know, I think of the ensemble nature of the the cast having different, uh, they're not all, you know, they usually have like specific traits that make them unique. They're not all just kids, you know, they have different character archetypes and then they're all killed off in some way. It doesn't have to be teens. It doesn't have to be adults. It doesn't have to be masked. It doesn't have to be any of that. It just has to be. Like, and then we, you know, slashers that I like, we have to like those kids and then they get killed. Okay. So you just described there's somebody in your house. Okay. And this was directed by Patrick Bryce, uh, who directed both creep films. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know what a big thing for me with slasher is, is, is I want masks. Yeah, of course. And, uh, as dumb as this sounds like that can kind of like sway my opinion on a slasher film, if I like the mask or not. And this Uh, had a really interesting fender idea. Yes, it's like the S&M leather. Yes, um, which Eric really likes. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? So what's interesting about this particular, um, what the killer's doing in There's Someone Inside Your House, uh, he's killing people who have secrets. Somebody, you know, something that somebody has done bad in the past, you know, that they wouldn't want to get out. Okay. So he makes, he takes a picture of his victim and then using a 3D printer, he prints out their face so it's like they're having to confront themselves oh, wow. as he goes to attack them. Uh, this actually gets pretty mean-spirited, but it felt just a tiny bit short for me. So I didn't love there's, there's someone, someone in your inside, house. Someone inside your house. But man, like if you're just like wanting to put something if Da, you like slasher films? Yes. Watch There's Someone Inside Your House. Okay. Simple as that. I've thought about it. Okay. I've thought about it. Well, I mean, instead of watching Trick or Treat for the 40th goddamn time, you could watch. You know, it's funny. I'm not new. even going to watch it this year. It's funny that you're, you're Shit talking you for it. Yeah. Okay, duh. You don't watch stuff once a year? RoboCop on my birthday and Silent Night, Deadly Night sometime in December. So you watch RoboCop as often as I watch Trick or Treat. So next time yeah. you talk to your buddy, Dana, tell him that. Oh, okay. Got him. Got him, got him, Da. These nuts. Uh, so what else? I got a few more, Da. Well, I just got Exorcist. That's it. Okay. Rewatched Exorcist. This is, you know, my brother, I believe, had never seen it. Okay. And we watched it, just me and him, uh, in the middle of the day, got snacks, got monsters, drank, you know, hung out, watched The Exorcist. How'd you watch it? 
Uh, just the just the Blu-ray that I have. I have a Steelbook, and it's the version you've never seen, right? It's just that it. I think now it's called the director's cut. Which um, is like the added material, right? Right. And you know, my brother wasn't ultimately, and I don't want to speak for him. He'll hear this, but I don't. I don't think he was ultimately in love with the Exorcist. <laughs> Exorcist. Mm. I mean, he was wrong about Crawl. So, man, well, yeah, I mean, he'll never <laughs> live that one down. But you know, man, I, and I'm not even sure he got this from me. So he may hear this and be like, "Really? He felt that way? I don't know." This is another film that I feel like really just sort of washes over you. I don't think the exorcist like now is that scary or has like this great, um, it's not TCM. It, it really doesn't. I think that it, well, in, in a way, you know, this reminds me of Rosemary's baby as well, which is seventies as well. Even though I know TCM is seventies, but that's like exploitation seventies. This is like movie movie. Like this is a real fucking movie, uh, obviously made by fucking, uh, Friedkin. Friedkin. Right. And, and in the case of Rosemary's baby, that's fucking, uh, Polanski Polanski, which has his own problems, but just saying like the exorcist is just a fucking movie movie. And, and I think it even to a fault sometimes, like it's not really willing to be a horror movie. It's not always willing to be, uh, you know, I, we watched all the special features on the disc cause we were bored. That's wild. I never watched special and, features. And, um, you know, we were listening to Friedkin talk about how he shot it like a documentary and how he never saw it as a horror movie and all that stuff. And I just, it is such a remarkable movie. It, I'll just say, ultimately, The Exorcist has never been my movie. I don't, like, love The Exorcist. but I, Exorcist 3, guys. Yeah, I do like Exorcist 3. And I was telling that to my brother. We should watch Exorcist 3. I have the blue. Um, the Exorcist has never been my movie. But... It's so good. It's so cool. I'm so happy it's uh, it exists because it's good. It's just not my movie. There's a documentary on Netflix William Friedkin made about uh, documenting someone who's actually possessed, and it was the corniest thing in the world that I couldn't take. Nice. I just turned that shit off. Yeah, the special features are interesting because they talk, uh, Friedkin specifically talks very plainly about uh, making The Exorcist. And the things they did to get uh, Linda Blair to do those things. And it's not its not that bad. I'm not trying to say it's like uh, abusive or anything. But it was just weird. Very weird uh, plainly talking about how they made that movie. Um, but I think there's no way around that when you have like a child doing all that insane shit in that movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it, man. Just the Exorcist. And really the, the thing that I get out of The Exorcist, to be honest, is really more so the iconography. Definitely. Right? Uh, that shot of Pazuzu when they unearth him. Yes, Pazuzu. And then and uh, I'm a huge, always been a huge fan of Captain Howdy. Uh, that that face, the image of that, just the little face. Is that something that was in the original film or is that something that's in this? To new- my knowledge, that was all added okay, okay. Uh, later on. And that's... Um, so I've only ever seen that the version. version you've never seen. And that, uh, I love those faces. I love yeah. that. Uh, gotcha. And so you. the iconography and, of course, uh, Reagan at the end, you know, as possessed and the vomiting and all that stuff. Those are the things that always, like, I, I just like the iconography, the way it looks. Gotcha. Um, ultimately, again, never been exactly my movie. Um, I like Rosemary's Baby more than The Exorcist. Okay. Um I think I would leave it at that. Yeah. Exorcist is awesome. And of course we watched it for that. There's going to be a, a haunted house, you know, maze at uh, Halloween Horror Nights. Should be creepy. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Eric, what's your next thing? All right. The next thing I got is the new VHS, VHS 94. This is a- Brad uh, Miska joint. Uh, yes. This is a Shutter exclusive that dropped earlier this month. And I'm going to tell you right now, Da, 
this shit is leaps and bounds over VHS viral. Good. Uh, okay. So I, I hate myself, Eric, because I'm like already wanting to stop you to talk about the, the first VHS, but I've, I always do this. So Eric, just tell me about VHS 94. Okay. So it's an anthology film. So there's several segments, right? And, uh, some work, some don't, but I'm, but I'm glad to say the majority of them do. Uh, good. The one that stands yeah, viral is terrible. Uh, the one that stood out to me, uh, Simon Barrett has one that he wrote and oh, directed cool. called The Empty Wake. And it is about this woman who works at a funeral home. It's nighttime. There's a storm. And she's tasked with staying at the funeral home as family members of the deceased are going to come visit the body. Well, family members never show up and the coffin starts rattling she starts thinking okay maybe the person in the coffin isn't dead i'll leave it at that sure i'm a big fucking baby and oh, this shit fucking scared me just sitting in my front room in the dark i was like god damn it this and, is and scary. that was the simon barrett one that was the simon barrett nice, one nice. that was uh that was my favorite of the segments but all of them i think were really strong the one i didn't care most for was the wraparound segment of course i got a shout out timo to janto because his was fucking wild as hell it's like this like uh, scientist who's experimenting on people to like infuse infuse human beings with machinery and it ends with uh, these like or it doesn't end but it has like these crazy like half men half machine monster things like fighting each other one thing I can say about Indonesian cinema no, they fucking go for it they don't yeah. do nothing half ass it's 100% balls to the wall and that is how Timo Tejanto directs his VHS 1994, 1994, 94 segment. Yeah, I think my stuff on VHS was going to be actually that I feel like that that franchise learned all the wrong things from his segment in VHS 2. Like it became about that shock and that that big, they were so big mm-hmm. in that movie. I think some of those aren't, uh, VHS 2 is great, but I'm actually a VHS 1 guy. I loved the simplicity gotcha. and the the eeriness of that first VHS movie. Like there's a Ty West segment that I really liked mm-hmm. uh, with the couple in their hotel room and someone is filming them. Um, those were so much more effective to me. And that was sort of what I wanted out of VHS. And as we got to uh, VHS two, which is great. And that segment that Timo Tejanto did he is just wrote that one. Okay. Well, it's like one of the greatest things ever filmed. Right. But I feel like, then by viral, everything had to be this big, right. huge, fucking momentous thing. And I was like, man, I really liked that first movie and how it felt. The idea of VHS and the anthology part of it is cool because it feels uh, dangerous in a way. Like you're mm. seeing something you shouldn't see because they're finding these tapes in this abandoned house. And then you're watching these huge special effects sequences. And I'm like, eh, no, it doesn't work. But uh, I really like that first movie. Uh, the final segment in VHS 94. What is, do we get out of 94 on all that? Is it more bigger shit? Uh, just Timos. Okay. I feel like he goes real hard and everything else is pretty contained. Contained like this, like the one I just described with Simon Barry. It's just this woman. And that sounds great. Possibly. Uh, something in a coffin something in a coffin yeah the first one's a lot of fun it's this news anchor woman uh she's going into like this drain tunnel and there may be a cult of some kind in there nice uh the last segment is a lot of fun it's these white supremacists and they've captured a vampire and their plan is to take the vampire's blood 
and then to inject it into somebody. And then when the sun rises, this thing that's now a vampire will explode. Right. So their idea is they're going to like go and put it in front of like some like federal building or something to cause this explosion. Chaos, but yeah. Things don't go exactly right for these white supremacists. It's a lot of wacky fun. And it almost kind of feels like, how the fuck did somebody come up with that idea? Like I give them that's credit. That's crazy. I give them credit for coming up with something so wacky. Yeah, I feel like um, it wasn't just VHS, but you know, I feel like everything anthology tur- has turned into like, just being punctuated by some big uh, crazy moment. Like it was more so about like how far, how much crap can we do in this instead of like being cool, like good. What about radio silences last segment? I mean, that's kind of like a bunch of wild shit going on. It is, but it's not just punctuated by that. Like I think what bothered me was as anthology stuff goes on, it's like, um, I remember I actually never finished that holidays movie. Because the whole thing of holidays was just like it also wasn't the, really good. the final like shot was like some shock thing, and I was like, okay, well, this is not storytelling. So I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't know, except for that fucking Jesus Easter Bunny. That thing is terrifying. Yeah, uh, that thing yeah. is terrifying. And that was VHS. That was VHS ninety four. I got a few more. Dog. I can I can make them quick. Dog. Rattle them off, dog. Okay, uh, this next one is called Alone in the Dark. Uh, this is directed by Jack Shoulder, who would direct Nightmare on Elm Street 2. This was his uh, first film. I believe he did this for New Line Cinema. Uh, pretty fire cast. It's Donald Pleasance, Martin Landau, and, and Jack Palance. Uh, Donald Pleasance is the head of a, for lack of a better friendly term, mental institution. And he does things... His methods are very... Uh, Unorthodox. Against the grain. Right, exactly. Unorthodox. Uh, So there's a new doctor coming on board. And when he first goes in, you know, he asks to see Donald Pleasance's character. And the lady who's working at reception is like, oh, you can't see him right now. And this man is like, oh, I can come back at another time. And she was like, no, he's available. You just can't see him right now. And so this man is like, well, why can't I see him? And she goes, oh, it's because he's invisible. And the doctor soon learns that, like, Donald Pleasance lets this woman, who's actually a patient, run the receptionist desk. Okay. So it's just like wacky shit like this. Um, and so I think it's kind of like a fun turn because he's still playing the doctor, you know, like he does in Halloween. But whereas he's all serious, you know, we must kill the evil. He's like kind of like happy, go lucky. Let's let the patients do what they want to do in. Too, too wicked, too in, violent. In Alone in the Dark. So there are. Hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. There, there are four inmates that are dangerous all right i can't remember the characters names but i'm gonna try to describe them uh there's one man uh played by jack palance you learn that he's a he was a prisoner of war and so his mind is gone uh there's another man who's like a 300 plus pound rapist uh there's another man who's played by martin landau uh, he was a preacher who tried to set his church on fire while the whole congregation was inside and then there's a serial kill serial killer named the Bleeder who doesn't show his face. Every single time the Bleeder's on screen, uh, he's turned around or he's just simply covering his face uh, with his hands. And the whole thing about the Bleeder is every time he has a nosebleed, he has to kill. So this new doctor, he comes to work at this institution and it's all like all the security is ran on electricity and they have a blackout 
and these four dangerous inmates, they're convinced that the new doctor has killed the doctor that he's replacing. So now they want to kill the new doctor. Okay. So Dr. The, Sartain. So these four crazy individuals get loose and go and attack this man at his fa- and his family. So it turns into a home invasion. Oh, film. cool. The, I was like blown away by like, how the fuck have I never seen this movie? It was so, so good. Ultimately, it, I didn't really like it. It was duh. such a fun, pleasant surprise. And what's funny, the way I found Alone in the Dark was... I knew Scream Factory like just put it out. It's fairly recent, maybe within the last couple of months or so. And I watched this fucking terrible, terrible slasher that was still fun called uh, Death Screams. And so I'm on the IMDb page and then there's a, you may also like section, right? And Alone in the Dark is there. I go to fucking Amazon and for some reason it's like, it's like a lightning cell or a flash cell, whatever the yeah. fuck it calls, where, you know, instead of, you know, Scream Factory Blues are like $35 now. This was 22 and so I was like, okay. Nice. You know, buy it now. And then it ended up being the best fucking thing and I've seen in a it. minute. Yeah, it was. Wow. Guys, please seek out Alone in the Dark. This what movie what is year so is this much from? fun. I don't know. Okay. But this was like before New Line did Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. So it's like late 70s, early 80s. I was going to say, yeah, before the 80s. Yeah. Uh, man, Alone in the Dark is wild fun. Nice. I'm pretty sure you would love Alone in the Dark. Okay, the next one I got uh, is an Indonesian cannibal film called primitives from 1978 this film has been sitting in my front room in my to watch pile for possibly a year i think this film came with the fulci bundle that severin put out that also included <laughs> enigma and yes. fulci for fake and That's i just right. for, for some reason just never got around to it and i've been working really hard to get through my to watch pile so i finally watched this god damn this movie was nasty da uh, and it's such a run-of-the-mill setup uh, cannibal film. I say cannibals because it's the easiest way to describe it, but no one is actually eaten in this film. But it's about a group of college students. They wish to write uh, an essay on a tribe that supposedly is no longer around. So far into the jungle, they go, they get captured. Uh, Stop me if you've heard this before. They, they get captured <laughs> uh, by these by this tribe. They're sure. tortured. They do their best to try to escape. They get their dicks cut off. The part where I'm talking about is nasty is the animal violence, duh. Oh, duh. Duh. So there's like... Again? So, <laughs> so there's like so there's like stock, you know, like sure. like animals fighting each other, but then there's like clearly shit that they shot yeah. that I couldn't watch. I fast forwarded. I, I met my cannibal film match in 1978 yeah. primitives because I just couldn't see what was happening, duh. Having said all that... I like the movie. Pretty damn good, I Dom. enjoyed the film, but I but E-Dog had to fast forward through some of the animal <clears throat> violence yeah. uh, to get through it. The last thing on my fucking list is Shout Factory's Sci-Fi's new goddamn slasher hit, The Slumber Party Massacre Remake. And how good was it, Dom? Dom I've watched it twice. Nice. Already. How do you have time for this? I don't know, and I work fucking You've watched Halloween home. Kills more than I have. That's crazy. Now, well, you only did because you saw it with your mom. Um, I watched it by myself Sunday. I watched right. it. With, I watched the first time was at the theater with you guys, which we're about to get to. Yes. we'll kick off with that. Uh, second time I watched it alone Sunday night. I was all excited because I had English captions, and then last night I watched it with my mother. Okay, did you wear party. did you wear bifocals when you read the captions? I do. I get my fucking cardigan sweater <laughs> yeah. on because I'm cold. You and, put a monocle on, yeah, and so, yeah. yeah. 
the Slumber Party Massacre remake, guys. Okay, you've seen Slumber Party, right? Yeah. Well, this is the remake, Don. Let me tell you fucking about it. Okay, so it's about a group of girls. Uh, they go to a cabin in the woods. There's Stop a killer. Me if you heard this There's before. There's a killer with a big drill that starts terrorizing, drilling them, right? people. Okay. But is there a guitar with a the drill? There is a guitar. Okay. Which is clearly a nod yeah. to part two, but no yeah. drill. But here's where it gets crazy, guys. I, I timed it this time. I didn't time it. I looked at the time. At 33 minutes in this film, there's a reveal. There's a twist. There's a game changer that happens in this film that makes it something totally different. That the, I want to guess, but I think I'm going to guess it right, so never mind. Okay, go ahead. I'll, and I'll make it. The uh, killer's a woman. You're wrong. Okay. <laughs> uh, the the this this reveal is so smart, is so intelligent. I would put it in the category with Cabin in the Woods, da. Wow, da. Yeah, it's obviously now it's revealed that they're playing with us. These tropes, these cliches okay. that we know. Sure. They're no longer going to abide by them, and they're gonna play by their rules that they're making up. The humor is a lot of fun. And there's some heavy fucking shades of the original Friday the 13th. Nice. Guys. An old friend of the Christie's. Just, you know, ask a friend who has cable for their login information. Download the sci-fi app. You got to watch it with commercials. But, you know, watch Slumber Party Massacre remake. If you're not preparing for a four-second maze at Halloween Horror Nights. Uh, it's, it's available to buy digitally. Yeah. And I want it so bad. But I'd much rather have a, a blue, you know, a physical release. Sure. But I don't know if they're going to do it. But I'll tell you what. As of right now, Shot Factory is two for two with slashes for me. Yeah. Fender Bender and the Slumber Party when Massacre. When I saw they like, did the uh, Slumber Party Massacre, I was like, okay, well, we loved Fender Bender. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is another one, Keegan, you will appreciate if you ever, fucking I ever get around to it. Yeah. Okay, so that's I could see watching. The, I could see the next at-home horror movie, me watching, being the Deep House. The Deep House? What the fuck? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. The okay. Inside Guys movie. Two things. E-Dog IP, and I'd like to get my water from the refrigerator. All right, Eric. Yes. After that momentous, what we've been watching, we yes. hope that you're still with us. Yes. We promise we'll have energy for Halloween Kills and all uh -huh. these movies we have to review. Uh, but- It's only three. Eric, well, and Midnight Mass. Oh, and Midnight Mass. <laughs> and now Eric's like, fuck. <laughs> Uh, got some terror tunes for you though. It's time for Eric Coffin's terror tunes. Eric Coffin's terror tunes. Fuck you, E Dog. Fuck you. Fuck you, E Dog. Fuck you. All right. Before I start terror tunes, uh, King and I we were just talking about shitting. Yes. And uh, uh, Eric took a pee break. Yes. I, and and so not you know, me this time. I want that on the record. Is, yes. You're usually the peer of the two of us. I must be dehydrated. And. Um, so for lunch, I had Long John Silvers. Ooh, <laughs> and uh, and then and then Keegan bought us Taco Bell. Yes, and so now my belly's like, mm. yep, yeah. So I may have to take a huge shit. Okay, so but, <laughs> with but, that but, being but, said, uh, we're here talking terror tunes. Yep. Okay, and so you know, I I write out my terror tunes beforehand. So if I sound like a robot reading this, just bear with me. Okay, since we're talking new horror films, I wanted to talk about new horror punk. And the band I'm talking about is Meteor King. They are a four-piece band from Baltimore who describes themselves as a horror punk band of 
radioactive fiends. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, they all rock corf paint, and I think they fucking rip. I first heard Mer- Me- Meteor King with their 2019 EP, Sam Hain, We Rain, which I strongly recommend, but E-Dog is here to talk new music. Not music that's two years old. Uh, their newest album, Deep Crimson, released just last last month, is a ripping bloodstained 21 minutes. Here is the song MK Ultra from Deep Uh, do you know what MK Ultra is? No. Okay. So I just read the first thing that popped on popped up from Wikipedia when I searched uh, MK Ultra. Okay. And here's what Wikipedia says. MK Ultra was the code name for illegal experiments performed by the CIA in the 1950s to the 1970s to identify drugs such as LSD that could be used in interrogations to force people to make false confessions. Oh, okay. Mind control and brainwash shit. And that <laughs> is probably going to end up high on my favorite horror punk. Uh, Which we're all list. eagerly anticipating. The only person I care to listen to that is your brother, Ben. And I, he won't. And he's the only person I want. What know, about Shane Saw? Well, it's your brother who one time told me, how is there that many horror punk bands that I could make a list at all? Yes. So I took that as a challenge ever since he's told me that. <laughs> shout out, Ben. Shout out, Shane. Yes. And with that, that concludes this uh, episode segment of Eric Coffin's Terror Tunes. Eric Coffin's Terror Tunes. Fuck, fuck you, Egon. Fuck you. Fuck you, Keegan. Fuck you. <laughs> I wanted to say E Dog, but I'd already committed to Keegan. <laughs> so we got Keegan. Keegan. <laughs> uh, and with that, I think it's finally time to hit the music. This is going to be our reviews of. This is our most anti- this is my most anticipated review of Halloween Kills. And then of course Candyman Malignant and Midnight Mass. Eric, hit the fucking music. Okay, I'll do it right now. Okay, Eric Hoff. Hello. How are you? How are Ope you doing good. today? Oh, good. Uh, Eric. Yes. Uh, we saw a movie called Halloween Kills finally. Uh, we never did really talk about COVID. All I mentioned was I got my third booster. Aren't we kind of tired of talking about COVID? Well, no, no. We, not not a, talking about it, but remember how we were worried that the film may not come out? Oh, but it did. And it made $50 million. Well, yes. Yes. I hope it makes all the money, though. During the pandemic, for Halloween Kills to be on Peacock and make $50 million, that's awesome. It holds a record now, right? For a movie to make the most money while it's also available to stream at home. It's so awesome, Don. So exciting. Good news. So, so, you know, there's the backdrop. You know, what's the rest of the backdrop? Uh, I've been waiting for this for a long time. Uh, I loved Halloween 2018. 
Eric, uh, let's talk your feelings on Halloween 2018 as it, as it exists today. Okay. Does because I think Keegan can pretty much just say. Uh, I still love Halloween 2018. Okay. I still don't love Dr. Sartain. And I think that's about where my criticisms end. You know, maybe, maybe the end, maybe the finale is not that great. Other than that, I love that film. So interesting. You say that. So interesting. You say that daughter, cause I once shared that mutual feeling, but I rewatched 2018 sure. Halloween so I could be prepared for Halloween kills. And it worked for me this time when, huh. when, when Lori's just walking through the house, clearing it, she can like, she's got like shutters for each yeah. door. I don't know. It fucking worked for me this time. And I'm pro Dr. Sartain because he's like got his own fucking agenda. He's an asshole. And that part when he puts on the mask, like even watching it, you know, just like a few weeks ago. And then, but especially the first time I watched it, I was like, what's happening? Yeah, I think there's there's an exciting little energy there. I I, think with Sartain, I will say, I think Dr. Sartain's, uh, motives, uh, and the reason they wrote that make more sense now having seen Halloween Kills. And we can get into that. And maybe we should say here, what are we going to do about spoilers? Should we at least just briefly talk about it with no spoilers? I'm going to let you make that decision. I'm, I'm anti-spoiler, even though here, I here's what I here's his films. Here's what I think we should do. I think this is too big of a movie not to spoil. I think that we should talk it briefly and then very clearly say we're doing spoilers and then do full spoilers for Halloween Kills. Okay. So... Everybody be prepared for that coming up. I believe we're also going to do that at least. I'm not sure what we'll do. We malignant. We're malignant. We're definitely last for sure. So if, so if you don't want to be spoiled on malignant, you can just like shut us off if you haven't already. Midnight mass is a little hard to talk about as well. So I'm not sure what we'll do with that, but we'll do yeah. Candyman next. And I don't even think we need to do spoilers for Candyman. We can get around Candyman. No spoilers. But let's talk Halloween kills. We, okay. we need to do it. I want to be fucking pumped up for it. So let's do it. Okay. Halloween kills. And no spoilers just yet. No spoilers just yet. Picks up where the 2018 film ended. It's uh, Lori, Allison, and Karen on their way to the hospital after they've set Lori's house on fire with Michael trapped in the basement. Yes. Right? But this time we're introduced to a whole slew of new characters. Characters that are actually returning yes. from the original film. Now we got Tommy, Marion, Lindsay, and Lonnie, who are all adults now. Yes. They don't know what's happened yet at this point in the film. Right. Uh, but then they catch a news clip, and they decide that they're going to form a vigilante group, and they're going to stop Michael. Evil dies tonight. That phrase is said a lot in this movie. Yeah. So where what do we want to say? So, like, obviously, I want to get into it, but no spoilers. So, first of all... Um, yeah, I mean, my thoughts. So if I was talking to someone that hasn't seen Halloween Kills and I, d- I couldn't spoil it, okay, that's I have to say that so I can figure out how to talk about it. Um, yeah, I love it. I mean, I love Halloween Kills. I feel similarly about how I did the first film. I think this one has sort of a few elements that I don't think ultimately work. I think they're pretty obvious. We'll talk about them in a minute. Um, aside from those, I mean, this is a mean spirited, mm-hmm. uh, no holds bar, mm-hmm. uh, take no prisoners mm-hmm. slasher sequel that is hell bent against the audience, against all the characters in the movie, right? Against, you know, uh, standards. I mean, I was blown away that, that, uh, David Gordon green and this cast, uh, not just, uh, uh actors, but this cast, these people that put this together, were this willing to be this mean-spirited? You know what? This film feels dangerous. It does. And 
one of the reasons where the, feels- the where the films where where the first film cut away, this just refuses to, and in fact lingers way longer than it needs to. <laughs> right. Uh, but for me, it was- the, does that explain why I like Halloween Kills? I mean. I want to. I'm just saying, oh, like, like it's oh, starting to make sense. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll give an example sure, for me sure. when we decide to get to spoilers. But there's so many fucking characters in this film. Yeah. Some of them are more important than others. But the film is willing to discard. <laughs> yes. And that is yeah. why it makes the film feel kind of dangerous. Like, nobody is safe sure. in this film uh, all the way to the end. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I just found this. Um, you know, ultimately like a lot of times when we talk on this podcast, you know, I'll go into like the, uh, sort of allegorical or, or societal impacts of what the film was trying to say. And I think here, ultimately it's not that, uh, impressive in any way, those aspects, but as far as the straight slasher sequel, Oh, it um, excels. You know, I think of like, you know, I think you've probably been reading this a little bit online and maybe we'll get into this, but you know, like this is the same two guys that try to say that Halloween six isn't that bad. Right. And I feel like our standards for these films are, are far too high. Mm. And I feel like, go ahead. I take small issue with that. Sure. Um, I've seen where people are saying like, cause okay. So this has been a decisive film. Absolutely. Divisive. Divisive. Decisive. E-Dog can't do math, and E-Dog can't pronounce words. I can't do math either, Doc. Um, I've seen where people are saying, like, like, why do you not like this film? It's just a slasher film. And I feel like that argument is like saying slasher movies aren't good. Like, the bar is, sure. is too low. But I think slasher movies are good. And I could see that statement feeling slightly disingenuous having gone through the first film, which I feel like is saying more and is about a trauma victim and what it does to their life. And those things where then now to suddenly, so I'm talking through it now to Mm -hmm. suddenly like 180 to like, Oh, it doesn't matter. I get that. I think this film is still following that up very well. I think it has one element that does that evil dies tonight. We will talk about, um, I think aside from that element, this is like a perfect movie to me. Mm. Uh, it's a slasher sequel that's, that has characters I like. It's it's doing more of what I loved in the first film, uh, just much less quiet than the first film. Right. The Everybody's fir- yelling and screaming in this movie. Yes. But to me, it sort of adds up. I don't know. I felt like this was the next step. I felt very similar to how I did about The Last Jedi when I saw this, which was, wow, that was dense. Wow, this is going to be... Um, actually I didn't feel like the last that I was going to be divisive when I left that film, I was like, this is awesome. I need to see this again. That was so dense. Uh, I love it. And then when people didn't like the last that I was like, wait, people didn't like this. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel quite like that about Halloween kills. I felt like this is going to be divisive. I love this. I need to see it again. This is very dense. Um, a lot fucking happens in this movie. Mm-hmm. So I feel like some of that, I feel like people need to see it again. Now you've seen it three times, so we can speak to that. Okay. So, and and you know what? It's my fault. I set these fucking standards. I sure. The, I want every movie to be my new favorite movie. I want every movie to fucking entertain. I me. can't wait for you to hate skulls now. I, I want, I want fucking to laugh. I want to cry. So I set these wild expectations. So when I walked out of the theater of Halloween kills, I was like, huh, I didn't like it. Which, by the way, I wanted to discuss. You left before the credits even ended, which I thought was odd. Did Dana like look up the after credits or something? Why would you leave uh, so quickly? I can give you my tr- uh, the true honest answer if you want. You had to shit. I did not have to shit. Uh, every time I've ever gone to a film with you, 
we stay outside and talk for like an hour. Yeah. And that's great. Uh, I would have loved to have like gone to Denny's with you guys and ordered a fucking Dr. Sure. Pepper just to discuss the film. But I had work the next day. And so I just wanted to fucking get home. But so what I if there keep... was something after the credits? There's not. Spoilers. But right. what if there was? Like you know. was rolling that dice. That's crazy to me. Like that's fine. Obviously, I we're mean, different people. But we, but we also live in like the age of the internet where I could just read about it. It was it was available at home. I could have watched it that way. Yikes! Uh, just kidding. But um, so it if, also if they, they played fucking... the ghost song after you left, and I'm like, we're sitting in a theater in Carlsbad, New Mexico, with a ghost song playing, and Eric left. I mean, I saw it. Already. I saw the video. Well, I mean, so you saw the video, but it's, you know, it's an experience. Obviously, we go to the theater for a reason. Your, but no, your brother was like orchestrating it. He was like with the fingers in the air. Oh yeah, I left. Just because I didn't want to get into an hour-long discussion sure. of Halloween with you when uh, I had work the next day. If I didn't have fucking work, I wouldn't have gotten up from that we, theater. We were with Wes. Shout out to Wes. And also my brother's wife. They both had to work the next morning. So we actually walked out and left. But um, I totally understand. I just had to give you shit because that's what I do on this podcast. Okay. So as I was just saying, I set these crazy high standards. And when I left the theater, I didn't like it. And I went home and I fucking tweeted how I didn't fucking like it. Right? And I knew we were going to record soon. And so I, I do want to stop you because I, I would like to know this thought process. Okay. When you Why say, Why don't you think before you tweet? No, 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 not that. When we, none of us think before we tweet. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, when you say you didn't like it, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Oh, okay. Like at no point was I feeling happy. You okay. Know, films elicit emotion from me. Sure. And whether, you know, it's on screen, whether it's a good story, a crazy kill, you know. And you never had a big smile on your face? I was like confused the entire time. Like, okay, a minor spoiler. Sure. I wanted the film to pick up with Michael coming out of the house fire. But it doesn't. That doesn't start until like 20 minutes into the film. And I thought that was so cool. Like the transition. It's cool that they subverted us and they treated us to something else. Sure. So I'm gonna get there. Yeah, yeah. No, I but I want to hear what you think. But about that it. was like one thing. I was like, what the fuck, duh? I want that shit right now. And instead I had to wait. So that was just like the first thing I didn't like. So I was already in like a disgruntled mood that the film didn't immediately give me what I want. Okay, so now I've seen the film, right? And I didn't like sure. it. Sure. I knew we were going to record soon, and I was like, okay, I should watch it again to make sure I have these feelings. Now I know what the film is. Yes. Now I know what the film is. This is why does. I called it dense. Now I know where – I know what the film is. So I, yeah. so I don't have expectations anymore. I know what it is. So now I get to watch it on its own terms. Merits, and, when I, yeah. and when I watched it Sunday night, I was like, oh, shit, this is tight. And then I watched it last night with my mom, and I was like, well, Edog was just fucking wrong. I loved it. Oh, well, good. Yeah. We can just end this fucking review. I, I, I think it's great. I think it's... No, that's an interesting progression for sure. What You know what's funny? is like there's a part of me that wants to complain about how mean-spirited it is, but man, I like mean-spiritedness. Yeah, me you too. Know? I mean, you know, my, my thoughts are like it, it actually does make sense, and I'm using the word dense. Maybe that's not the right way to put it for what you're describing. But I definitely agree. Like, I know every time that I've come into one of these, like, extremely hyped movies, especially a sequel to things that I know. I was so excited that Thursday night. Like, I I went to go get Dana, and you texted me, are you here yet? And I was just like, oh, shit. Like, that, like, electrified the moment for me that, like, we were just so close, you know? Yeah, and, you know. It was so exciting. I, I guess for me, like, I totally understand what you're saying, too, because, like, when I've seen, you know, for instance, Force Awakens or, or Last Jedi, um, of course, or, or Rise of Skywalker, those new Star Wars films, I'm so 
concerned with what's going to happen that I don't that that I I almost leave like in a daze because I was just so concerned about what the characters were going to do and also what the film is. And I think once you know what the film is, exactly what you're describing, you can finally just actually watch what it is, not be worried about what it is. And I feel like I do that too, but I I really coming into Halloween Kills, I had seen like a couple headlines. I don't read reviews, but I'm scrolling and I saw a couple headlines and it was like a mean-spirited follow-up with plenty of violence. And I remember I was like, okay, I'm going to readjust my expectations to as long as it's violent as fuck, I'm going to love this. So whenever I went in Thursday night, I, I'm not saying I knew that it wasn't going to be like an Oscar worthy film, you know, but I, I was just like, you know what? If Mike kills people and it's fucking mean spirited and doesn't hold back, I'll love it. And that's exactly what what it was. So while, while some of the other like evil dies tonight stuff didn't obviously hit very well, like a lot of people are saying, and I totally agree with that. Like, I'm not going to sit here and defend like some of that dumbness, um, I just can look past it. Like I've gotcha. seen it twice in theater and I loved it both times. And the second time I liked it even more because I could just invo- enjoy a Michael right. Myers sequel that I'm not trying to diminish when I say it's a sequel and we hold these to these high standards. I was simply saying that like, it's not going to blow. Like we're lucky that Halloween 2018 managed to make what it was. That's a remarkable in itself. So now this is a Hall- this is a sequel to that, which will likely not near live up to that because it was very hard to do that to begin with. And I think this is, man, rewatching, rewatching this one, what really stood out to me was I felt like there wasn't a lot of really well-directed flourishes in the movie, and that bothered me. Like if you look back at the first film, that one take. Uh, right. Where you know it's going from house even, to house. Even the camera work, a steady cam, it's gorgeous. I mean, I was like foaming at the mouth how great it looked. This does not necessarily have that. This is more a lot of this film is more like the Rob Zombie Halloween in okay. the way that it's shot. Uh, but I did find some the second time I saw it. One of them is the firefighters at the beginning. Um, God, that's a well-directed fucking scene. They must have they they had a, a year, right, to polish it, and you can tell. Um, if you rewatch that and just look how it's shot, we're so spoiled because mm, we're just thinking, oh yeah, this looks good. No, this is hard to do this. Like it is hard to shoot a slasher movie this well, this expensive, this mm. nice. They're usually not near this good. Um, right. So, you know, while I don't think it's perfect, I will end my, my <laughs> what I wanted to be quick thoughts as um, I thought it was enough. I thought it was more than enough. And the fact that it satiated my mean-spirited violence want, uh, which is funny that we want so bad, but we do. And I think it's also just, you can't just like be mean-spirited and shitty. It also has to be a film with characters that you somewhat at least care about. And because we care about them from the first film, we get these new ones that don't all work. But um, I don't know. I was just totally in. I'm also a fucking Halloween wonk. Right, like I'm a fucking Halloween guy. I love these films. I love the franchise. So I liked it a lot. Yeah. Is that it for our no no spoilers? I guess that's it for no spoilers. Well, that's good. So it's exciting. Sorry, I went on forever, but that's good. Exciting to hear that you're definitely more passionate about it for sure. And that's I'm not surprised. Uh, okay. Transition to spoilers. So hello, everyone. Um, we're going to do spoilers now for Halloween kills after this. If you don't want to hear this, we are going to talk about Candyman. 
Midnight Mass and Malignant. So I'm going to try to put some timestamps in the bottom if I get up to, uh, if I fucking can do it. Uh, so look down there in the description. Hopefully there's some timestamps. If there's not, skip ahead. And now is time. So turn this off for Halloween kill spoilers. We've never really done this before, I don't think. Okay, no, I think we usually stay clear of them. Okay, Eric, why don't you kick it off? Just anything, anything you want to say about Halloween Kills. So this is now starting spoilers for Halloween Kills. Okay, Go ahead, Eric. Starting spoilers for Halloween yes. Kills. Uh, I had mentioned how the film feels dangerous sure. because of these characters that are, we're told like they're significant characters. They're in the original film. We brought them back. And we're just going to fucking kill Tommy. We're just going to fucking kill Marion. Yep. We're just going to fucking. Lindsay, it looks like, made it out. Ice them all. Yep. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk specifics, right? That that um, that assault on that car—that is such a good sequence—is so good, such um, a good sequence. Yeah. Okay, so there's a part where the vigilante mob has formed. They've split into groups. Uh, Marion, Lindsay, and a couple from the 2018 film are together. Uh, they're cruising around, and they come to a park where children are swinging. And this scene, this dialogue that children have, are great. Uh, Lindsay gets out of the car and she tells the children they need to get home and the children are being defiant. They're like, it's Halloween night. You know, we we're allowed to be out tonight. You know, we're having fun. And they say, there's this man in a white mask who keeps popping up from behind bushes. And I think he's trying to play peekaboo with us and they're describing Michael, but they're not fucking scared of Michael. I thought that was, and okay. So I totally like butchered that dialogue, but I thought that was such a fun moment in the film. Totally. And then Michael does pop up and he's behind this car and just murders everybody. Um, Uh, You know, I think the punctuation mark on this scene is the uh, score. Okay. The score is great. The score is so good. There's this part where, where Mike like kicks the door and the door hits the chick with the gun and she shoots herself. Right. Uh, That, that, that was great. I threw my hands in the air and I was like, let's fucking go. Like, holy shit. I started clapping like, not yeah. loud, but yeah. yeah, I was like, holy shit. Uh, but so in, in this particular... But that, I'll tell you my favorite part of the scene when you're ready. Okay. It's after he kills at least three of them. Uh, he's like looking on the ground and the camera is like at his feet and the camera goes up and there's like the guitar of like... Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. It's yes. so fucking good. So, so there's several like... Uh, I'll use the word hero shots uh, for Michael in this right. movie that... A completely blew my mind. Like gives me chills to think about. Um, and there's this, my favorite part of this whole scene is, uh, uh, one of the characters, uh, in the back seat tries to choke Michael. Mm-hmm. And so he like puts this, I don't know what it is. Stethoscope. Yeah. Around his neck and is trying to choke him. And it's just this static camera shot while he's trying to choke Michael and Michael is being choked and just stops and turns and looks over at him while oh, he's dude. being choked. Mike's and, body movements are so good. Do you know what I'm talking about yes. though? Like he, he's, he's trying to choke him like, cause he's so like, he's going to be killed. Right. And, and Michael just literally is turning and looking at him. You can see his eyes through the mask and look at him. And he's, he's the guy's like, Oh fuck. Like, obviously I'm not going to choke out Michael Myers. This is not going to end well for me. Right. That's my favorite part of that scene. Just his look. Anytime Mike can look at anybody. Um, there's a scene later in the film where somebody says Michael and you know, you could see he just turns his head. Like he doesn't even turn around, but he just, he doesn't move his body, but he like turns his head and looks back at him. 
it's so awesome. Okay, I want to keep talking about the body movements. And one thing that we haven't even, that we haven't touched upon yet, and now that we're talking spoilers, the film opens in 1978. The film opens after the first film ends. And at first I was confused by that. But when I but upon watching it the second time, uh, Jim Cummings is in this sequence, yes. which is great. Did you notice the first time he saw it? I did not notice that he said Dr. Loomis said he just shot him several times up the street. So I was like, what the fuck is going on? But okay. you knew it was Jim Cummings. Well. Oh, I knew yeah, yeah I knew too. that it was Jim Cummings, yeah. right. Uh, uh Jim Cummings recently made The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Correct. Which we fucking gushed about. So yeah. Right. He's in the the flashback sequence. Right. So so when Halloween Kill starts, it's supposed to be after Loomis shoots Michael off the balcony in the original yes. film, right? So uh, it's uh, Sheriff Hawkins. Um, he's a young man now, and Jim Cummings' character. They're at the Myers house. Um, they're looking for Myers. There's a confrontation, and Sheriff Hawkins starts shooting at Michael, and Michael is walking down the stairs. And Hawkins is shooting, like he's like hanging over the railing shooting. And Mike just keeps walking. And Mike just keeps walking. He doesn't pick up his pace or anything. It's so fucking cool looking. So awesome. And then another Michael body movement part that I thought was great. Um, after he escapes from Lori's compound, um, he goes into this couple's house. And it's, so it's a man and a woman. He's already attacked the man. Uh, the woman's in the kitchen. He walks into the kitchen he like looks at her and then he like turns his head and he sees a fluorescent light bulb. And yeah. then he walks to the fluorescent yep. light bulb. He unscrews it and then breaks it. It's so fucking When he good. breaks it, it's so fucking like the sound effects it makes and everything. Um, so good. I want to talk about that scene real quick with the, with the couple uh, right after he escapes the, the burning house. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, that scene is punctuated by him uh, inserting 50 knives into the back of that dude's back. Oh, yes. Right. This, this is the mean spirited right. we're talking about. Okay, so after he attacks the woman uh, in the kitchen, he stabs her in the throat with his fluorescent light bulb. He, We see him pull the, the man's body. Uh, it then cuts to the woman. She's sitting on the ground. She's clearly still alive, but like hanging on. The camera is slowly panning around. Michael has thrown this man onto... Like the uh, counter. Onto the counter, right. There on, on the counter, across from the counter that he's thrown this man on, there is a, a series of knives. And Mike is grabbing them one by one. Yeah. And he's just stabbing them into this man's back while his girlfriend, wife, or wife is just watching this. And, and here's here's what I... I Actually, the second time I saw it, Something profound about Halloween and Michael Myers uh, uh, really um, kicked off in my head. The second time I saw that scene, I was in the theater and I was like, oh, fuck, I get this scene. I get it. Yes, it's mean-spirited. Yes, it's just cool. I totally agree with that. But it it fucking blew my mind. I realized what was happening. Tell me. It's Michael. Michael's not doing that for that, the woman that's still watching. She just happens to be alive. Okay. Michael is doing that for himself, and this is what Mike does. If you remember, in Halloween, he sets up people's bodies in all these weird ways. Mm -hmm. He's sort of a showman, and and in my opinion, I don't think he does that for other people. This is just my opinion. I think he does it because that's what Mike does. Mm -hmm. Michael is, is sick in the head. He's demented, and I think he is also sort of childlike and childish because he's that child from that night, okay. and he creates these childish scenes. 
I'm making this up. This is my reading, right? Okay, your interpretation. And so to watch him, he wasn't doing that to be mean-spirited towards the wife of the man. He was doing it because if you look at him, he's grabbing a knife, looks over, stabs him in the back. He kind of looks for a second, then looks over and grabs another one. It's almost like almost like a OCD, like obsessive compulsive disorder, but for murder, like he has to put as many knives in his back till he feels like it looks right, and then he just leaves. My interpretation was he was like looking for the right knife because then he takes because then he grabs one more knife right and then he leaves and did you but, notice but do, you, do you understand what I'm saying like the the sort of his setups right we're we're actually witnessing him create a setup I actually had a big problem with this okay so later in the film uh, he murders a couple and we see them we see a picture of them. sure. And he arranges them how they're in the picture. Like one of them is sitting on the ground and the other one's head is in the, is in the other's lap. Right. And there's this like sad song playing on a record. So like, did Michael fucking turn on that record too? That I, I kind of took issue I, with. I will say in the original film, like he does do some pretty odd setups, right? Like remember he, we're supposed to believe that he puts Annie Brackett in the bed and then puts the Judith Myers. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, also remember, I, that, I agree with you. Remember that Michael plays like the Bob character with the sheet. Right. That's my biggest defense and, and understanding of like, that's what Michael does. Like that's how he acts. Now I know it's just, Halloween 1978, they probably just thought that was funny. But in the mythology that we can make up from, from these films, it makes sense. Uh, like, the, in the universe of this film, these films, and in Michael Myers, he creates these, like, in the only way I could put it is setups for people to find them. I don't think, again, necessarily he's doing it for them to find them. I think it's more so, like, that's what he likes it to look like. Like, he's demented and fucked up and wants to make these weird scenes. And the only way I can defend the couple with the pose and the music is the Bob costume. Gotcha. The idea that Michael would put that fucking sheet on and put Bob's glasses. Mm. Michael is wearing Bob's glasses over a sheet. Right. Michael Myers is doing that. So in 1978. So for me, it's like, I guess it's all silly to him. So I don't know. That was my, again, I, it's sort of my interpretation. I'm not saying it's correct, I, but that's how I felt about it. I, I mean, this is a conclusion I did not come to, but like, I'm like totally seeing your sure. side. It's it's totally making sense. It, it all crystallized when I was watching him put those knives in that guy's back and he was already dead. I was like, oh, this is him making one of those scenes. Like we never see someone. This is the exact sort of scene that uh, the cops will show up to and be like, he did it again. Right. And right. there'll be like 50 knives in a guy's back. And they're like, why do you have to do 50? You know, just something right. stupid. But we're watching it be created instead of seeing it later. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. I want to stick with that scene. Uh, just one last thing. Uh, right after uh, Michael does that, puts all these knives in this man's back, uh, it transitions to the bar where Tommy, Lindsay, Marion, and Lonnie are drinking. Uh, you learn that there's a talent show going on. Uh, they, at this point in the film, they're still in the dark. They don't know that Michael is loose. They don't know that Lori yes. has been attacked. And the man on stage, when the scene transitions, is a ventriloquist. And... The audio uh, transitions, but not the scene. So right after Michael stabs that dude so many times, you can hear the clapping oh, right, right. at the bar, and then it transitions to the bar. And I almost feel like that's the film, like applauding Michael. Like, right. look at what he's done. And I thought that was a nice 
Maybe they do that on purpose, but that was my interpretation of like, let's congratulate Michael for what he's done. I thought that was great. Yeah, and now that you get there, we can talk about Tommy, uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Is that Anthony his Michael Hall? Yeah. So it, uh, you know what's so crazy? He's like promoting uh, some other thing or documentary or something. I don't remember in Las Cruces. Really? He was like doing a signing for Halloween Kills in the Breakfast Club. Uh, like you could just go to and like, wow. I, it's not like he's my favorite actor in this movie. In fact, he's part of the problem for this movie. But uh, man, that would have been cool. Like if yeah. I still lived there, like just go have him sign something Halloween. Just he's Tommy Doyle now. Right. Um, it's kind of cool. That is wild. Anyways, um, we can get to him if you want. Like obviously, I like you know I'll talk the good first. I like that it does feel like a continuation of that character that would be trying to prove himself because you dealt with this trauma as a kid and you really couldn't defend yourself from this horrible trauma of the boogeyman coming to get you. And so your whole life, you would probably be, you saw these dead bodies, you saw people killed, stabbed. And so I could totally, I, I totally see the progression to like when he finally gets a chance to like defend himself or be, be somebody or, or, um, defend, you know, the town from Michael, for instance, and he takes his chance. Right. So I, I totally understand like those themes that the film is trying to do. And if it was just that, it would be okay. But when it comes to the, you know, evil dies tonight and the mob aspect and sort of the, uh, militia aspect. Right. And I think right. this is handled in Halloween four and I love it in Halloween four, but Halloween four is short and quite as wonky. Well, it's short and sweet about it. Right. Right. And it's just like these idiots from a bar go kill someone in a bush by accident. Right. right? And this is more like trying to say something. And I would have liked it. You know, I don't like uh, a lot of this sort of mob culture. I don't like it culture. either. It feels very hickish to me. But, this is the same mob that killed Ben. Yes. And so for this, this film to, I think I, for, let me just say this. I think for me, it falls apart where Lori's sort of a part of it. You know, at one point it's like, She's yelling, Tommy, go get him. Go get him, Tommy. Go get him. And Tommy runs out, runs out of the room. And like a okay, minute, so hang on, a minute later, Tommy's like, or uh, Lori's like, it's not him, you idiots. Right. And it's like, just one second ago, you were saying, go get him. It, 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 it's more so the filmmaking and the storytelling. I just don't think adds up. I understand the allegory and all that. That makes sense. But it doesn't add up. Uh, Karen comes to the conclusion that Michael is coming to the hospital. Which I think is interesting and we, we should talk about. Uh, that is interesting because she tells Allison, stay with your grandma, but do we do we want your daughter at the place where the killer's coming? Anyways. Well, and, and they, they all reveal to each other that that's not why Michael showed up at Lori's house. Right, yeah. Which 100%. then starts to sort of retroactively make Dr. Sartain a cooler written idea. Right. That... They're even dealing with that in the second film, trying to tell everybody, look, no, the only reason he was there was because Dr. Sartain wanted him. It was his obsession. He, they say it was Sartain's obsession, not Michael's. Did you and not, I was like, oh. Did you not pick that up the first time around? I mean, he of clearly drives him. No, of course I did. What I My issue with it the first time around was in that film to be a Halloween 2018 and to spend so much time with this character we don't care about or we've never met and it's this important idea I felt like, and I still feel like it's probably the weakest part of that film. Uh, of course, I understood that that's how we got there. I've been saying that forever. Like, that's how they got Michael to Lori. Right. But what I'm saying is I think it enhances that film gotcha. to have these characters grapple with that in the second film to understand, look, he is not going for Lori. Like, stop saying that. Right. And trying to explain to people it's not about Lori. But I, I think ultimately it's going to make it hard to, like, what is the third movie? 
Right. Like, and so we can, now it makes it seem like only Lori knows how to stop him. And they sort of made it sound like all he wanted to do was go home. All like right. that's his whole purpose. So I'm not sure we could talk about the third film in a minute, but, yeah. uh, uh, as far as the, dark, uh, uh, the hospital scene, go right. get him, Tommy, go get him. Uh, go ahead. Okay. So we, we learned that there's, there's two patients that haven't been accounted for. One's yeah. Michael and the other is Tavoli. Uh, it's Tavoli, Tavoli, which is the last name of the cinematographer for uh, Dario Argento. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's why he's called that in that first movie. Right. Mr. And, Tavoli here. And so he goes to the hospital because he's just like scared and wants help, but people immediately think that it's Michael. Right. So this mob goes after uh, this man. I don't want to be this guy, but can I be devil's advocate? Sure. He was at a hospital for the criminally insane. Yeah. So he he may not have been an innocent dude. That's sure. all I'm saying. But the but the the film paints him so, as a sympathetic character. Yes, I think the issue is, and I've been saying, if friends of mine know me, um, the witch hunt aspect. It doesn't matter, even if it is a bad person, if you just say uh, this person was outside my house looking through my window, like on Facebook, for instance. Right. You can cause mass hysteria and yes. possibly get that person killed. Right. And they have nothing to do with it. Right. They've never done anything. The witch hunt aspect of it, which is, of course, goes back to Salem. We won't. Do, but witch hunt, I'm right? With you. I'm with you. And so I feel like that's what it's addressing here, which obviously it is. Why am I saying that? Of course, we all know that. I get that. But it's just handled so clunkily. I don't even know if clunkily is a word. It's what? a clunky way to say clunky. What? Would, it's definitely more mean spiritedness. How about that? Well, the best part of it is they drive him to jump off the building. Right. So this mob chases him up several flights yeah. of stairs. Uh, Allison is, or, excuse me, Karen is trying to protect him by locking him in a hallway. Uh, it's a two sided hallway. They lock the doors. Mobs on both sides. They're trying to break the windows to get in. I think. By the way, I thought uh, Karen was awesome in this scene, and that actress. Uh, um, Judy Greer? Yeah, Judy Greer. I thought she was great in this one, um, which kind of makes sense when we see the end of the movie. Right. Um, right. Let's make her even more sympathetic. Yeah. I'll, 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 we could keep talking about it in a we're, minute. We're getting there. Yeah, sorry. We're, 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 we're getting down the line of the film. Yeah, so... Uh, I so, guess I wanted to comment on it here because I felt like this was a good Karen Strode. I felt her, like she was doing... Her hero moment. Yes. Right. Uh, but I, this I like man, that moment where she like holds his hand to like get him to calm down and stuff. Right. Like I, I thought that was touching. Right. Uh, in a, in a, go ahead. Uh, he smashes uh, a window himself. He jumps out. Um, so he jumps out the window and then it cuts to his perspective, which is crazy. Like, like you see like his like hands, like flailing going straight down towards the ground. And then he hits the ground. And then what's fucked up is it shows us. It shows us the character literally splattered. And then he twitches. And then he twitches. His jaw drops. And it was like, oh. Like, they give us like a little jump scare with it. Yeah. I mean, that's the funny part about like the – and when, so, you know, you guys hear us use the phrase mean-spirited a lot. And it's always hard to sort of quantify. Like, okay, one version of quantifying it is Michael stabbing a guy in the back that's already dead like 20 times. That's mean-spirited. Another mean-spirited thing is sh the guy falling off the building, we clearly know he's dead. We see the reaction. We know that it's not good. One, you show him the body on the ground, dead splattered. And two, he like twitches and we get like, that's mean spirited. That's what we mean by that. Right. Uh, so then bracket delivers the, he's turning us all into monsters. Yeah. And now the mob, uh, resides 
And uh, we cut to uh, Lonnie, his son, and uh, the girlfriend is Allison. Allison. They decide to go to Mike's house. And I would like to... So here's where I'd like to say this. Okay. I feel like Allison's not in this movie. I feel like Lori's not in this movie. And I feel like Karen's in it more, which starts to make sense with the ending. Okay. Um, as the ending happened... Uh, we want to, sorry. What? Do we want to talk Big John and Little John? Oh, of course. Okay. Um, as the ending happened and Karen Strode perishes, which I know I'm skipping ahead, uh, I started to understand. I was like, oh, well, that's why Allison's not in the movie. Like, because they had more her. She was right. in it more. But um, very frustrating because I feel like, uh, I'm not trying to be like this Allison Stan or anything, but I thought like, okay, cool. Let's go have, like, we have this new young Strode and these three uh, generations of Strode women. And then they're, like you said, even Lori and uh, Allison really aren't in it. I mean, very, very little. Right. Um, even rewatching it, like, I, I asked my Lena or my brother, I said, is this the last time we see Allison until the end? And it was. Like, we don't see her forever. Um, so I was frustrated by that. Cameron is the boyfriend's name. Cameron is the boyfriend, right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, anyways, you were getting to... I, I jumped to the conclusion, to the climax. Sure, and we'll talk Big, Big John, Little John for fun in a minute. Okay, so uh, there's a gay couple in the film uh, who has moved into Michael's house. Uh, one of the characters is played by Michael McDonald. Correct. Uh, Little which, John. Right. And um, I'm staring at him thinking, who the fuck is that? I know who that is. My brother's like, it's Stuart from Mad TV. And yes. I was like, that's why. Uh, I used to, I was a huge Mad TV kid. Now it all makes sense, guys. Yes. I <laughs> loved Mad TV when I was a kid. Like, I remember thinking SNL was for like adults and Mad TV was for the kids. Gotcha. Loved Mad TV. So yeah, I I guess I shouldn't say now I loved Stuart because Stuart's not PC now. Uh, go ahead, Eric. Okay. Uh, so he kills the, the couple that's living in the house, Big John, Little John, and uh, Cameron, Lonnie, and Allison show up to the house. And here we have- The Myers house. The Myers house, right. Exactly. Um, what, do you, what do you take away from this piece? Well, it, it's so fast moving. Lonnie goes in first. He tells him, don't come in. Immediately they hear a gunshot. So Cameron and Allison run. I in. loved it when they when they're like it's, I, it's so fast. I, I remember one of the things before the gunshot goes off, Allison says, This is so fucked. Um I love some of the dialogue where they're just willing to be like, This is how people would talk in this moment. Mm. This is so fucked. I think that's awesome. Gunshot goes off, they instantly open the doors and go in. Right. And they, yeah. they find the couple. Uh Cameron goes off on his own. He finds his dad dead. He's stuffed in the attic very, stairs. Very mean-spiritedly stuffed in the attic stairs. Right. Um, it's actually a frightening shot of him, like the dead body and like the way his eyes are and shit. Right. Uh, very frightening-looking That body. By the way, that actor is Robert Longstreet, who was also in Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass, Mass yeah. So he's done some great, incredible horror work this year. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Uh, so, so, so Mike attacks uh, Cameron and in another mean fucking spirited moment, Michael it, Rams. I would easily say the most mean spirited moment think? in the film is Cameron. I I kind of felt like goddamn when I the first time I was watching it, he rams his head into the into the railing of the staircase, breaks the railing, and then he's just like violently shaking Cameron's body back and forth across the railings. That he hasn't broken yet. And, and by the end of it, 
Mike stops. I thought he was going to like rip his head off how forceful he's being. A couple things here. Number one, I thought we were getting high tension. I thought he was going to fucking. I thought he was going to rip his head off. Yeah, but like through the, like in high tension, right? Doesn't he kick his head off in high tension? No, he uses that dresser. Oh, he uses that fucking dresser. Which is one of the like most violent things I've ever seen. That's right. So I thought it was going to be something like that. It ultimately wasn't. But what was so, so fucked up. And why this is the most mean-spirited part of the movie is because we do know Allison and Cameron, and we do care about Allison. And to just demolish, ravage, destroy uh, her boyfriend, who, yes, made some mistakes in the first film, but that's someone that our character that we like cares about. To do it in front of her like that, while she's screaming, no, no, do it. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. And then he just spins his head around. Let me stop you for a moment. I understand we're at the hospital. They're worried about Lori. But I kind of didn't like how there was no repercussion for the way Cameron acted in 2018. Uh, yeah, He shows sure. up at the hospital. He goes, I just want to help. And then they hug each other. Well, hang on, they, hang like, on. Don't bring anything You missed one part. My favorite part of him getting to the hospital is she's walking that way and she sees him and she actually turns the other way and just starts walking away from him. And, and then I was he like, jumps in front yes. Of and then and then they're they're fine. Right. But in that moment, I was like, yes, fuck him. But yeah, it, it's all is forgiven, apparently. Right. Uh, all is love and war. So Mike is walking down the fucking staircase. While, while, while Cameron is like ravaged. 99% dead. Like, and you know what's funny? Rewatching it the second time, knowing he's going to fucking spin his head around. I thought, you know what? Looking at Cameron here, I don't, I think he's dead anyway. And not just right. that, he's fucked either way right. like he probably can't talk like he probably has brain damage from what happened right and then he stops and he looks slowly slowly looks over at him grabs his head and, and then just snaps his and neck. allison no no the whole time right uh so he goes downstairs um does she no she has a knife allison yeah. has a knife michael quickly she's turns been, it on her she's been pushed down the stairs right and broke her leg or whatever happened. Right. She's definitely in pain. Uh, Mike grabs a knife. He's about to stab her when Karen shows up. There's a pitchfork from the Halloween decoration well, that's outside the and house. And Allison's yelling, do it. Right. Do it, which is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Uh, Allison stabs him one time in the back, steps on his face, takes his mask. She goes outside to the street. She says, you want your mask? Come and get it. And she leads him to the mob. The vigilante group. Right. Yes. Okay. So. First time I'm watching this, da. Sitting in the theater. We see Michael getting surrounded. I was like, oh, no. I'm worried about Mike, da. Yeah. I'm concerned. For sure. 100%. He's just been doing these atrocious things for the last 90 minutes. And I'm like, I'm worried about Michael right now, da. Yeah. I'm worried about fucking Michael right now. The mob surrounds him. And the look that he gives. I kind of feel like he's like, fuck. What do you think? Because I feel like he kind of like looks, sees that he's outnumbered. What do you think? I think it, at a certain point he gets his mask on. All right. He puts his mask back and on. And he's like, uh, he's good. And then, so uh, the mob comes at him. Uh, I think he's able to get a few hits in, right? And then he gets shot like four times and he yeah. just drops to the ground. And in that moment, my first viewing, I'm like, Oh, no. And then the mob just starts beating him. They've got all these sticks, these bats, and they're just hitting him on the ground. And the score is fire once again. So good. 
fire once again. And in this moment, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I'm worried about fucking Michael. We cut back to Lori. She's at the hospital with Hawkins, and then she gives some talk about how every time Michael kills, he gets stronger. Michael gets up, kills the whole fucking mob. How are we feeling right now, Doc? How how well, are we feeling in terms of what they've just done with Michael? What are they telling us right now? Is he supernatural now? So what okay. do you think? So my reading of the film okay. is that he is supernatural at the end. Okay. I would take that away too. And then I wish I hadn't had seen what David Gordon Green said, where someone asked him, the director, and he said well, our intention was always that, you know, to go, stay away from the supernatural and that anything that happens to him or anything that he does is could be extraordinary but not impossible. And I can't remember how, but for sure the phrase, but not impossible, which to me starts to tell me that, okay, maybe he's not supernatural, but... If I, even talking this through out loud right now, if I remove that I've heard what the director said, I think he's absolutely supernatural at the end of the film. Uh, my reading of the movie. So what do you think? He has to be. What else? Right. Could, he's it's been, impossible. He's been fucking shot. He's lost some fingers. Yeah. He's been shot multiple times. He was in a fucking burning house for who knows how fucking long. Isn't it? Doesn't um a part that stood out to me was didn't doesn't Allison like is it Allison? Someone stabs him like four times in the stomach. It's Allison when she when they when he's yeah when he first attacks Cameron in the Myers house. Right. And I think she stabs him like four times. <laughs> and that's really good. Like it's like this like shot yeah. of her just like jabbing a knife into his stomach. I think and, it looks really good. And then of course I say that, but then of course all the other damage he's taken and the mob and all that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think, unfortunately, no one shot him in the head yet. So that sort of leaves it open to interpretation in a way where it's like... I, I almost kind of feel I like... I mean, look, I should say this. Of course, it's impossible. No one would live through this. We know that. Right. But it's a slasher film. Sure. So, But my reading is totally that he's supernatural, except for that I've read that interview. Right. Um, so I, I talked about how at the start of the film, uh, they're at the bar. They're drinking. Tommy goes on stage and he talks about how, you know, he survived his encounter with Michael 40 years ago. And I feel like they're kind of setting him up to be supernatural there. Like just yeah. what Tommy says, he's like, he had strength that no mere man could possess. I do too. And that's why, and I wish I, I feel bad for like bringing this interview in, but that's why that has me so confused is my reading of the film is like so clearly setting that up and then to have Lori, our patron saint of the franchise, right? To have Lori have that soliloquy about how, um, you know, the, his curse, and she actually says the curse of Michael curse. Myers. There's also an interesting part where she says, maybe he can only die if I die. Right. And, and so again, regardless, that makes him supernatural. Right. So then I just, I do, I agree with you. I feel like the whole film is setting that up. It, it's a total crescendo that... It doesn't matter what you do, he's going to come back and haunt this town because of the sins of, you know, himself and and I I don't know, it's very very odd. I, that that I wish I hadn't read that interview, but 
that has me very confused. And uh, there's some wild theories out there now. He's a fucking uh, silver shamrock robot. His mask is a silver shamrock mask. Well, that's stupid. That is stupid. But people are saying, you know, it's in the same universe because the silver shamrock masks exist. I don't think that would happen. Yeah. People get a little too excited on I would be into it, though. Yeah, no. I don't think that will happen. Do I want... Michael Myers, this 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 amazing icon that's been this incredible three, hopefully three films are incredible, to be a robot? No, that's stupid. I mean, I agree, but it would explain why he why he doesn't die. But let's wrap up the film in terms of so we jump back to Allison and Karen. There's a bunch of first responders now. Uh, Karen thinks she sees. Um, Young Tommy in the window, so she goes upstairs. And I, and I will. I'm glad you brought that up. And I will say that starts to read as supernatural as well. I agree. Like I think the film, and that's why I'm saying that my reading of it was because I'm. One second. She goes up there, and I guess fucking Michael just teleports up there, Doc, because he's supernatural at this point. And there's a thousand first responders outside, and he fucking kills Karen. Yep. And you know. And we cut to Lori like, with she can sort of sense a monologue. Yeah. Has happened. You know, she looks distressed. Well, you know, Eric's pointing at me to, to follow up. I mean, I think, you know, I like it. I mean, I like the ending. I think it's cool. I think if it's setting up a supernatural Michael, I feel like that's probably the only way. Are you ready? Halloween ends. Um, that makes total sense to me to have it build to a way they need to extinguish the evil for good. Right. You know, things like that. I, I'm like totally cool with it. Um, I think it's ultimately open, so open for interpretation that I'm, I'm struggling to sort of, like I said, I think he's supernatural to see young Michael upstairs, to, to draw Karen up there, to, to show up behind her. In fact, I think there's a shot. I think he appears behind her. He does. He like, yeah. So, and I don't, talks his head out. And I and I think he's not there initially. So it very much feels supernatural by that point. Um, and then in the last shot, it's like the camera is over his shoulder, and we see his reflection in the mirror, and he's just looking deteriorated as fuck. Yeah. So you know, I just think it's I think it's tough, but I feel like. Um, do you, are you do you like what they did? Yeah. I mean, you're happy yeah. with this? Yeah, I just don't know how to talk about it, I guess, because I'm not, you know, I think it's so open, you know, I think I've given my interpretation that I do feel it's it's supernatural, and I and I feel like everything has led up to that. I do also, I, I am interested what this next movie is, and maybe we transition to that, that I also read that, you know, David Gordon Green saying this is going to be a much different uh, film tonally, the third film, than the first two. Oh. And that concerns me because that means it's going to be funny or something. Like, mm. I don't know. And I honestly don't know what it is. And so it's going to take place four years from uh, after that, uh, after 2018, which will now be 2022. He's also saying stuff like it's going to address the pandemic, Ooh. which concerns me. Um, and then also saying it's going to be different tonally. And so ultimately, I just feel like I feel like, you know, I've got a cliffhanger and I don't know what's going on. I, I feel like I could complain, but why should I? We're going to get, like, I know we're going to get a conclusion. For sure. So I'm fine. I'm, to- I'm okay. Totally. And as a film, I like the ending anyway. I think it it, may, it, it adds up um, uh, narrative-wise to eventually, you know, the film is so hell-bent on, on killing everybody. It, it kills everybody but Allison and, and, uh, and Lori. 43 dead bodies. 
Allison, Lori, and Brackett? No, not Hawkins. Brackett. Hawkins. Hawkins is the old uh, one. I actually think Brackett does live as well. But um, does he? He's in the mob. Yeah, maybe. Uh, you're right, Michael. No, you're right. You're right. Everyone's in touch. They don't. They don't show us Brackett getting killed, but he's in the mob at the end when fucking Michael kills everyone. Yeah, I, I think ultimately, you know, how, let's talk about. Okay, we so we've summed up. We we've gone through the whole film. Yes. Okay, we like the film. Uh, but let's talk just how they shot that scene when he's killing the mob. It's all like super close-ups. Yeah. Like we almost just see Michael in the shot and then blood flying. What do you think? Well, it's it's interesting. I saw um, some behind the scenes of how they shot that. And they're literally not on the, even on that street. They're just in a uh, studio with lights. Gotcha. And, I, um, and they're shooting up so you can't see where they're at. Gotcha. And I think it's kind of cool because I think it's, you know, in a way trying to make a statement about like the town's grudge against Mike and trying to, so it's very, um, personal. Like it's very intimate. Sorry. There you go. It's a very intimately shot part. Of course we'd like to see crazy kills, but I think the film has already given us so many. It now chose sort of a more artful take on that. And I think it's cool. I don't know. I just, you know, I guess my, my voice here, not, not really sure what to say about the ending because it is just so sort of, I don't want to say ponderous. It's not fucking 2001 a space odyssey, but I'm not sure what's going on. Um, but I liked it. I liked it. Allison makes it out and Lori makes it out. I think it makes Allison fucked. I mean, so in the course of 48 hours, really one night, she's lost her mother and father her mo- and her boyfriend. And her boyfriend. And I, I wonder if she's going to like begrudge Lori now in Halloween ends. Uh, totally possible. And also my biggest concern with Allison is I don't want her to be Lori from Halloween, uh, uh, Rob Zombie Halloween 2. Like remember how Lori and Hall- uh, Halloween H2 is like she's all fucked up oh, and insane. traumatized. I don't want that for Allison in oh, Halloween ends. I'm so I'm, I'm concerned that. about that. But it's interesting. Lori will have her head screwed on tight. Yeah, I think I think by the film finally gets to this moment, you're sort of exhausted by the insanity of the movie, and so I'm just like, cool, like cool. Let me let me know what what happens next year. Right. Um, and I think and we'll it's, be there. Yeah, and we'll, we'll be there. And I did read something about um, there is an extended ending where I think there was an, some additional shots, and I think uh, I don't exactly know what it is it's supposed to be on the Blu-ray. I guess it's. It's supposedly Lori leaving the hospital. She calls Karen. Oh, I didn't know. Michael that. answers. Oh, and I all she hears is heavy breathing. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but for the next film to jump four years, I think is so interesting. Like, if Michael isn't paranormal, where is he at for four years? He's got to be paranormal. Right. And if he's paranormal, where's he been at for four years? Even if he is paranormal, like what's right. paranormal Jason? Oh, uh, fuck. Paranormal Mike doing Mike doing right. for four years. Um, Maybe he's buying a new mask. Duh. I'm super excited. But also like, as far as this movie, I was just so happy with how brutal and mean spirited it was. And I got more of the characters I liked. So it's good. Yeah, I just, I just love it. I already pre-ordered the steel book. So it's good. I can't wait though. To, to get I mean, that, I probably won't get the still book, but I'll definitely buy this blue. 100%. You're not going to buy the 4K. You dog doesn't own a 4K TV. Yeah, but when you do, it's going to suck that you have all these Blu-rays. I like how you're just like looking away. Like, yeah, I feel like <laughs> I you're ashamed. You. Yeah, you're ashamed. That was our brilliant Halloween kills discussion. I thought it was fine. No, I do too. Yeah. Okay. What do you want to do next? 
Uh, we could go hard with Midnight Mass, or we could just go quick with Candyman. I think quick with Candyman, and I think it's appropriate. Candyman, bitch! I think it's appropriate for Candyman. Candyman's fucking 90 minutes. Okay, yes, that's true. Well, I mean, Halloween Kills is 145 with credits, so it wasn't that much longer. Yeah, I mean, Candyman is brisk. Candyman is interesting when you say that. Because I feel like the film breathes yeah. for about 70 minutes. And then the last 15 minutes is like, let's wrap this shit up now. And I, and I, not to skip ahead, uh, but I feel like that was probably, that's probably my only real issue with Candyman. Other than that, it's awesome. There's got to be some shit missing. Yeah. There's yeah. got to be some shit. I, I don't think we're doing spoilers for Candyman. We're not doing spoilers for Candyman, but, and I'll jump to the setup of how the film, sure. what it is. Uh, but before I get there, um, there are scenes in the trailer that aren't in yeah the film. Like Helen, there was a Helen character. Okay, so in the film, Virginia Madsen reprises her role as Helen, but it's just on audio recordings yeah, that our main character yeah. Anthony listens to. But in these actual scenes that are in the trailer, she's like a physical character. Like, in shots. Wow. So, like, shit has been trenched. Yeah. And I would love to know, what did Jordan Pill write? Yeah. And what did... Nia DaCosta. What did Nia DaCosta rewrite? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, did you want to intro? Did you want to okay, do synopsis at all? I, I will, because I enjoy doing this. Well, yeah, you're, you're really good at it. Okay, so, the Candyman... Um, uh, we meet this man. Candyman and he. He's the whole damn hive. Uh, we meet this man. His name's Anthony. Uh, he was a popular artist. Uh, well, he was still in school, like college, something like that. Yeah. And he's just so popular that he's gonna get his own show at a uh exhibiting an art gallery. Yes. Okay. But when we meet Anthony, he is just going through a creative drought. Yes. Right? And uh, in one of the first scenes, uh, his girlfriend's brother tells the story. He recaps the original Candyman. But here's what's wildly interesting. He doesn't make one mention about Candyman. Instead, he tells the story about some crazy white woman named Helen who kidnapped a baby and killed a bunch of people at the Cabrini Green housing complex. Right. Uh, So that catches Anthony's attention. He starts looking into this case and he learns that there is Candyman. Yes. And that starts to fuel his creative desire. He starts creating work uh, about the Candyman and it also puts him on the path with the Candyman. So what do we got? What do we got? I saw the movie three times in the goddamn theater. I've seen it twice. So, so don't be upset with me for watching Halloween twice, two times at home. Okay, Doc. I love the original Candyman. The original Candyman is like one of my favorite horror films of all time. Okay? Right. Not just the 90s. Not just Supernatural. Not just horror, Doc. E-Doc fucking loves Candyman, right. Doc. This was wildly... I would say I was more anticipated for Candyman than I was for Halloween Kills. Yeah. That's how excited I was. I love how you're just sitting there like, yeah, I've heard this already. Bitch, get on with it. Okay, so I am just like engulfed. I am so excited because I felt like they did a good job of not telling us 
is this a remake? Right. Is this a reboot? Is this a sequel? So E-Dog, I go into that theater die and I'm just on board to find out what happens. I was wildly, wildly uh, along for the ride. Sure. Along for the mystery. And then the film tells us how it is, what it is. And I won't say. I got so excited. I'm sitting next to Dana. He's There's a chair between us because if, if the theater is not packed, I guess he doesn't like to sit next to me. And I reach over with my left hand and I slap him as hard as I can in the titty because I'm just so excited with what the film is telling us. Yeah. And I clearly startled him. He's like, eh. Because <laughs> I think he is, you know, wrapped up in what's happening too. And then all of a sudden there has to be a climax. Yeah. And they make who I thought was just kind of a secondary character the villain? A villain? And I kind of didn't like the direction where the end went, duh. And it happens and it like kept, so sudden. And it kept me from outright. I like this movie. I like this yeah, movie a I lot. Yeah, I agree. I totally but agree. the end just kind of, and that's why I think, is there something missing? Is there something Something cut? seems like, missing. Why did all of a sudden this just go to where it went to? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I totally agree. I definitely don't like Candyman as much as you do. I like Candyman. I came to it maybe five years ago. I had never seen it before. Had Scream Factory already put out the blues? Is that how you no, first watched it? No, how did, I, how did you first I got watch a region-free Blu-ray from the UK. Okay. And I talked about it on the podcast, which may not even be available anymore. Okay. But, um, and I really like it. I think Candyman's cool. It's not like one of my movies. It's not. It's never been. But I do think it's cool. And this... You know, I think for me, what 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 I liked the most about it was how stylish it was. Mm. Like just the opening credits with those upside down, just how cool Yaya looks. Yeah, like like his attire, what he's all wearing, yeah. all of it. He's never not um, looking cool. You know, it's it's dripping with style. Um, you know, there's these upside down camera shots of like these big buildings in Chicago, what, which with is like really, this fog and shit, which is really cool because in the original film. We're looking down yeah. at Chicago. And in this film, we're looking up at yeah. Chicago. And you know, you have this fog at the top, so it almost looks like the buildings are coming from the sky. Right. Um, and I know it's like, well, what are you talking about? This is Candyman. Like, but no, it was just I thought that was gorgeous. Mm. I think it has really cool uh a couple I just I guess I just wanted more I hate I hesitate to say this because this kind of sounds like so simple. But I kind of wanted more blood and and more violence. Okay. And I was surprised that a couple of the scenes held back more than I expected. Now, that probably makes it more artistic. And I think it is. It's ve- Like I said, stylish is the word I'm using. It's very stylish. Even the, the kill scenes are very stylish. But I was just a little... I thought it was going to be more violent than it was. Um, but the scenes that do happen are shot so pretty um, that... That was what stood out to me the most about it was how gorgeous it looked and 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 just the staging and the camera work and everything. I feel like they may have made it a tad too complicated with the idea of Candyman. He like exists in the mirror. So like we only see him in reflections. Right. And there's some shots where like he's attacking people. I've seen the film three times. I'm still not entirely sure like 
how it's working, like in terms of like his movement right. in regards to the person that's being attacked. And I, and I think part of that is due to, and I won't spoil the film, but I think some of that's due to with them trying to hide Candyman because they may or may not want to reveal what he looks like okay. and all these things. But I think it's sort of, I feel like we don't really get Candyman. Like as soon as I got so excited in that scene, um, I won't spoil it, but there's there's a scene in an art gallery. Okay. Yes. And um, like you said, you kind of see him, you kind of don't. He's in the mirror, he's kind of not. And I, 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 like I said, it's stylish and cool, but I was just a little taken aback. I was like, man, I really wanted him here or there. And then again, really ultimately the problem with this film is like its climax. I think really, really that's the point. Like I don't want to uh, debate it too hard because I thought it was awesome. Like I loved Candyman. Uh, 2021, but also I thought it went, once it was ending, I was like, Oh, okay. Like not, not in a bad way. I was like, Oh, right. okay. Like that, that was cool, but and, and that was cool and stylish and, and, and fun. But also it was a little weird how quickly it, it ended. Right. Um, I will say I like the mythology that they established for this film. Yeah. It, it brings something new to the Candyman lore, it brings something new to the Candyman story. But what's also really interesting is the lore that they establish is like they're they're making a political statement with it. Yeah. Like it's not just like, okay, we're going to make up some shit for just a fucking horror film, but this is also real world shit we're talking about. So I think that is super uh, interesting, super neat. Um, and then I just got one tiny, fun, quick story. Okay. And we can move on from Candyman if you like. Uh, okay, so the first time I watched it, uh, it's me and Dana and a couple sitting a few rows back. The very last shot, Don, you know what I'm talking about. If you guys have seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. Right before the credits hit, uh, the guy who's sitting in the back with his girlfriend starts clapping. Nice. And uh, I'm right there with him with how excited I am with what we're seeing that I damn near want to start clapping too. And then the girlfriend says something like, what's that? And then he starts explaining uh, what's happening on screen. Yeah. Okay. So as of right now, Candyman's probably my favorite film of the year. Wow. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it again. I think for me, just to sort of like it's, it, it'll probably be in my top five. Definitely in my top ten. Um, Candyman was never my movie, so for it, like I don't have all this extra stuff behind it where like. To me, like seeing a Halloween sequel, for instance, like does mean a lot to me. So it like has all this extra bias where I'm just going to love it no matter what. Mm. Um, Candyman doesn't necessarily have that for me. I, I really, really liked Candyman. I thought it was dripping with style. You got the Blu-ray pre-ordered? No. Uh, November 16th. But ultimately uh, was not in love with Candyman, but I loved Candyman. Does that make sense? It does. I wasn't in love with it, but I did love it. And I saw it twice in theater and I thought, this is fucking cool. I mean, it's cool as fuck is a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I think I'll leave it at that. Okay. We both liked it. I yes, loved for it. for sure. Definitely more than you, but we both I liked really, it. I really, really liked it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wanted more of like the uh, the little girls, uh, sorry, the the high school girls that that uh, say Candyman in the mirror. Okay. Like I wanted more of that. I felt like I needed more like, I needed more Candyman. Gotcha. Um, more kills? Yes. But ultimately, really did like it Okay, a lot. we didn't get... Okay, you know, I hear you're looking for the Candyman, bitch. But there is one I did like. I, okay. You've told it to me. Okay, so so our main character, Anthony, he doesn't know who Candyman is, right? But then when he starts researching uh, the story of Helen, 
uh, he meets this man by the name of Burke who starts telling him about Candyman. And and Yaya goes, excuse me, Anthony goes, what's Candyman? What's Candyman? What's Candyman? Pretty yeah. good. Okay, so that was Candyman. Yep. I liked it. My, my favorite line from it was Candyman ain't a he. I really like that. He's the whole damn. The whole damn hive. Mm-hmm. All right, Candyman. Candyman. So I think this means we only have one, uh, one of the uh, Midnight Mass because uh, we already picked Malignant to be last. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we don't have to like go forever on, on these. I mean, Midnight Mass, Like, if you're a person out there that knows us, uh, we really like M- Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently talked to Eric about it, and he and I was like, "Yeah, everything he's made has been so good." And you're like, "Well, what about Bly Manor?" And I was like, "Well, he didn't direct that." And Just you're like, the first episode. Wait, what?" Um, I didn't say that. I knew that. I thought you did. I knew that that he only directed the first episode. Are you sure? Nah, you got me mixed up with somebody. But who would I be talking to about Bly Manor? Not me, G. Can't think of a soul. Also, also we don't talk horror related things outside of the podcast. I feel like we talked about it. Well, either way. Um, maybe you're just like in your sleep talking to people. I don't maybe, know. maybe, maybe the candy man's coming for me, mm-hmm. bitch. I, I hope my neighbors are just like, what is wrong with those people? <laughs> it's fucking nine o'clock and they're just yelling, bitch. Uh, I heard you're looking for the candy man. Mm-hmm. So bitch, uh, what do you want to say about midnight mass? I mean, do you want to explain it yeah, or I mean, we can do what we've been doing. Sure. Uh, midnight mass is very difficult to talk about without spoilers. Where are we going to do spoilers on midnight mass? No. Okay. So obviously Midnight Mass is the new Mike Flanagan show, right? I've liked everything he's made. I've told stories about Mike Flanagan in the past about like how uh, I saw his movie Oculus a long time ago and I thought, wow, that was really cool. Uh, I've told the story before. Two buddies I went with was, uh, was Andrew Sierra and my buddy Jameson Lucas. They both laughed at the film and didn't like it. Um, I don't think Oculus is amazing, but I walked out of it and thought, man, that was you know, I haven't really seen a horror movie that intimate and sort of, uh, it has some weird intimate, uh, violence in it. And I was really taken aback by Oculus, even though I didn't love it. Um, and so I remember telling, they're like, Oh, it's just another shitty Blumhouse movie. Little did they know how many, how much Blumhouse would come into play later. And they make everything now. But, um, I saw that I saw Absentia back then loved it. Uh, I'm not sure I've seen Absentia. I think I saw it before I saw Oculus. I had just heard on, I think on um, Killer POV, they had seen it. And I uh, really liked Absentia, tiny movie. So very much expect like indie, not like indie today, like an indie movie, like very small. Uh, Absentia is cool. And then of course we would get stuff like Hush and Gerald's Game, which we really loved. Um, didn't, for me, I thought those were cool, good movies, but it didn't really all start to make sense until haunting of hill house that series is so so good and dr sleep and then after that dr sleep which sort of was this crescendo at least for me of mike flanagan where i was like this guy is like making stuff that i just didn't know you could make stuff like this um his his sort of scares and storytelling and family drama is so intimate i'm not he makes everything he does is very different uh, from everyone else, like his, he'll have these insanely long monologues of these characters just saying these long monologues. And in fact, my brother pinpointed it watching. He finally watched Honey Hill House, and he was like, "Yeah, they don't work if they're not good actors." And I, I told him, and I, I told him, you know, he's gonna hear it again. I disagree. I think they're all amazing. I love watching actors act in one take and doing a monologue like that. 
And I got a couple of them in Midnight Mass. Um, a couple. Every fucking character has a monologue. I'm not complaining. And I love it. I'm not complaining. And I love it. Yeah. And so, Eric, complaining. that's my setup for Midnight Mass. Do you want to say what it is or, or yeah, what? Sure. Yeah, sure. Okay, so it takes place on this fucking island. What's the island called? Cabrini Green. Cabrini Green. Uh, there's only It's a population of like 127 people. Uh, we meet this young man. It, there, there's a joke about potluck. What's the fucking... It's like... Uh, not pot island, but luck island or something like that. And they do a pot, pot roast island. Go ahead. Oh, that's right. Because I, but I don't remember what the fuck it's called. Right. Um, so early in the film, we meet this man. The series. Uh, this series. You're right. It's a seven episode series available on Netflix. Uh, we meet this man. His name's Riley. Uh, he's in a drunk driving car accident that he caused. There's a young girl in the other car that dies, and Riley survives, and he goes to prison for four years. Yeah. And one thing I should mention that's very important is Riley and his family are Catholic. Yeah, and I know you're going to keep going, but for us to talk about it, it's very important to know Eric and I were both raised Catholic. Yes. And so I think if you have any, well, I'll just say any Catholicism in you, um, this show is so specifically Catholic. Um, Mike Flanagan grew up Catholic. Mike Flanagan was an altar boy. Yes, and it, and it might start to like make sense why I like all of his work because it's so usually driven by grief, death, loss, or trauma. And I know that's all horror, but the way he does it is just... Go ahead. Uh, so he gets four years uh, for uh, killing this girl in the in the drunk driving. Yes, uh, car accident and you learn he was like in school he had like a successful startup but you know he's lost all that now since he had to go to prison and so he returns home to his family on this incredibly small island uh, you learn that his mom is just thrilled to have him back but the father not so much and he's got a little brother and there's this tension there that now Riley uh, is back home uh, in addition to this, uh, there is a Catholic church on the island called St. Patrick's. I don't remember. Okay. And St. Patrick, uh, their priest is like a man in like their 80s. Uh, the congregation like knows he's sick, but they don't actually know how sick uh, he is. And they decide they should... Monsignor Pruitt. Yes. That is the 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 old priest's name yes uh the congregation they decide that they're gonna send him on like a vacation to is it jerusalem yes and monsignor pruitt does not return instead it's a young man by the name of father paul i don't remember and father paul is this young he's hot and ready to trot and you know initially people are like where the fuck is the monsignor but people quickly take uh, to Father Paul. Yep. And quickly, Riley and Father Paul are on a collision course um, with each other. And not much more to say because hilarity ensues. Um, so you learn that Riley has like lost religion. Right. Right. And um, everyone on the island, almost everyone, is very religious. Right. There's There's definitely people like we don't even like meet. But there's definitely other people on the island that aren't Catholic. Uh, but you learn that while he's in prison, he figures 
I'm going to try to find religion. So even though he's Catholic already, he studies a bunch of other religions, but yet nothing calls to him, right? So when he gets home, he doesn't want to go to church anymore, but his father won't have it. You know, if you're going to be under my roof, you're going to go to church. Right. So Riley starts going to uh, Sunday mass. And this is of course where he meets uh, father Paul. So Keegan had already mentioned, uh, and you know what? Okay. We said no spoilers, but is it safe to say that there's supernatural stuff? Uh, You know, Flanagan grew up like Riley is Flanagan. Like this is, this is like fucking Flanagan's bio Uh, Flanagan. You know, he, I read where he said he was an altar boy till he went to fucking college. Right. Uh, There really was an old priest at his church that eventually, you know, I don't know. Do priests retire? (laughs) I don't fucking know. They get sent away. It's very weird. (laughs) Especially if they've raped somebody. Okay. Uh, Maybe take that out. Okay. Um, not related to the show. Yeah, not related to the show. Uh, and that there really was a young priest that then came to his church that everybody uh, loved, you know. Right. Uh, Flanagan really was an alcoholic, you know, where that he, something he struggled with. He really did try to find religion in terms right. of outside of Catholicism. Uh, so this is kind of like the Flanagan biopic. Right. Uh, in a sense, just, you know, he based Riley so much on himself. And I want to point out one wildly fun moment in hush okay so the main character in hush is an author and guess what book she's writing midnight mass and there's a part where our main protagonist in hush her neighbor comes over and she's just read midnight mass the novel and she's like i think riley's such a good character and i like aaron too I guess uh in this same interview that i read with uh flanagan i guess he's been trying for like years to get Midnight Mass wow. made. And so he kept getting it turned down, but he wanted Midnight Mass to survive in like little pieces and entities. And so that was like one way he would keep Midnight Mass right. alive was by having other characters like, like the Flan- write the like book. Very Stephen King-esque, uh, the Flanagan verse in right. a way. Right, yeah. exactly. Uh, and what's funny is like he pitched Midnight Mass to Netflix like 10 years ago and they told him no. And then fast forward like 10 years later, they finally uh, said yes. Uh, So this is a very Catholic show. Yes. uh, That that has supernatural elements. And as Keegan has already said, you know, we both grew up Catholic, that there's moments where they would go into prayer. They'd go into hymns. I was right there with them. Yeah, we we know it. Yeah. I was right there fucking, I was saying it along in my head as the characters were doing it. And then what I thought was fucking great, Dal, what I fucking really liked about this show is okay so there's there's a lot of discussion on religion in the fucking show yeah and i felt like riley has this kind of anger towards catholicism and i found it all just very relatable yeah i mean i think i think like even before the like eric said like you know i don't think it's a spoiler to say there's a supernatural element to the show um, I think even before, like, if you're Catholic, you're supposed to believe in the fucking supernatural, right? Right. right. And I think that it's so important to like, I, you know, I think anybody that was raised in a with a with with religion at all, any religion, um, whether it was like you know Christian or or, or a different type of religion, it doesn't matter. Um, I think it's always interesting, like, not to get deep, but you know, I've o- I'm always thinking of these types of things where I think it's crazy. Um, I'm sorry, not crazy as a pejorative, but I think that it's, it's wild. It blows my mind that we teach children like that this magic exists. Right. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that we do do that. 
and whether the magic is something you believe in and you don't think it's magic, you know, you think it's something from, uh, you know, Jesus or whatever. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, it is a magic, right? It's like similar to, and I, man, people are gonna think I'm belittling it. Sometimes I do when I say Santa Claus, but in a similar sense, it's like the Easter bunny or Santa Claus to where like eventually with those things, we tell kids like that's not real, but but if you believe in a religion, and I know it sounds like I'm making this all a pejorative, but if you believe in a religion, and you tell your kids these things, like it's it's this like the fear of hell, the fear fear of demons in some religions, the fear of of dying and 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 doing you know cut, hell in some religions, cursing is bad and like these sins, right? The fear of sinning. Um, I, I mean, every Sunday, Catholics go to church, right? And they believe that. Uh, a bread wafer and wine is turned into Jesus's flesh and blood. Right. And, you know, Catholics have confession, right. To rid their sins in a way it's not exactly ridding, but you got to do your penance. Right. And you know, this fear of, and I think, I think what I want to say about like midnight mass for me is it spoke to me on such a crazy level, but outside of the supernatural, it really just, you know, this accepting, of oneself and accepting, um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, I'm not saying any specific character. There is a theme of this show of like accepting death and not just of other people, but also, uh, there may be a character that accepts it themselves. And I found that so profound. Like it's, it's, um, we're also afraid of dying and we're so afraid, uh, people that are religious are afraid to go to hell. And, and, I know this is getting deep, but those, those themes just spoke to me so highly that, that, you know, that my favorite line in the show, I, I don't think it's a spoiler because out of context, it won't make sense. But my favorite line in the entire show was a character saying that we are the cosmos dreaming of itself. And I know that's like so kitschy, but guess what folks, Keegan likes kitschy bullshit like this. And it just, the, the 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 thoughts of the universe and what happens after we die mm. and all these things and I'm talking about these things. This is not even about that supernatural stuff that I think would be a much bigger spoiler. Those are the things that just like I latched onto. You know, a lot of times when you start these limited series and shows, you start you know like okay, what am I going to latch onto? Is it the characters? Is it the 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 genre element? Is it what what is it? And I finally found it when they were doing those monologues about um, about death. What happened? And and while I did like the religious aspects, it was also just that exploration of like, yeah, well, this is what I believe happens when we die. And I just found that so profound. Um, so Eric, what what did you like about Midnight Mass? Uh, the 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 take on religion. Right. Uh, there's a part where one character is talking about how. Uh, you know, Catholics are told like it's good to suffer, right? You know, like because Jesus suffered, that we should suffer too. You know, that that's uh, something that we should uh, put us, you know, put ourselves through. But just kind of how like what a crazy notion, right? That is, you know, that uh, because we believe that there's somewhere to go after we die that we have to live a miserable life right. now. No, no, that's fantastic because that that plays into like when I'm talking about like the fear of dying it's and or going to hell, it's that sinning, it's that like making sure you have like you're 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 saying boring. I don't want to be that mean spirited about it, but you you basically have to live a non life, otherwise you're gonna go to hell in a way. Right. You know what I mean? You may sin or or whatever, and 
yeah, I, I think that, that spoke to me. I think the parts that didn't, while I, you know, I felt like, I feel like people are talking about like the, um, there's a character that's like obsessed with religion. Mm-hmm. And I feel and like. She's like the scariest character. Right. But also like I've seen that character a lot. Like I've seen The Mist. Right, exactly. So, you know. Marsha Gay Harden's character. Exactly. And so like for me, that was not that profound to me. I, I Maybe because I think there's a lot of people that are like that. So I already sort of know that, but it was more so that that aspect of death and accepting um, death or oneself or what happens after we die, um, and then and then yeah, there's uh, several crescendos that have monologues of people uh, speaking before something happens. You know, I'll just I mean we're talking around spoilers, but um, I found those so profound. Uh, not even towards not even the final episode, and like uh, leading up to it, like three or four before it, there were just so many of those. And I just, I thought it was just incredible writing. I've never, yeah, loved it. What's funny is I I think it's good enough to watch again. If this gets a blue, like how Hill House and Bly Manor did, 100% picking up. And so I want to show my mom but the idea of, because I've told her where it goes. Right. She doesn't want to fucking watch it. Um, I, I, guess, I guess the reason I'm speaking about those themes are it wasn't just the religious aspect for me. Um, that, that is a hook, but it was, it was more than that. Okay. Well, let me just add on to that. This is a horror movie podcast. Yeah. This is a horror show. Yes. So when the supernatural stuff happens, I also like that. All that stuff is cool. Yes. Um, we can't talk about any of it because if we say one word, it will spoil midnight mass. But, uh, yeah, loved it. I mean, all of that was, there's some very scary imagery involved in that. And, um, it's yeah. so goddamn good, duh. It's 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 my favorite horror thing of the year for sure. As of right now, now don't yell at me. Okay. I've seen it. As of right now, I still do think uh, Haunting of Hill House is better to me, but that's because I'm falling on the floor right now, guys. Of the family drama aspect of it, it appealed to me so highly to watch um, this family come together and and understand what was going on in that show. And this is much more, I feel like, singular. I feel like this is more internal. Um, each character, like I said, is almost speaking of their internal feelings. And while I do love that, I loved, I am, I am touchy-feely as well. I cannot lie. So I did like the familial aspect of, because that's what that, I mean, that's what Haunting of Hill House is. It's that family. Where this, I don't think, is exactly just like the family stuff. No, there's, there's like that tension, so it's not exactly... But I think, I will say this. There's like two monologues that I think are better than anything in Haunting of Hill House. As a whole, I think I like Haunting of Hill House more. But yeah, I love it. I love it too. What's funny is, I told you this story already when we went to go watch Venom. I thought it was going to be like paranormal supernatural, like ghosts. And I'm a big baby and everything scares me. And so the weekend it came out, I was off that weekend. And so I was like, okay, I got to watch it during the day. Because if I watch it at night, it'll be too scary for me. And then I was pleasantly surprised for it to be something else. And uh, I took it out that weekend. Yeah, I think think this series from him really played more into like the Ari Aster side of like grief and trauma. More so than uh, his previous stuff. Like... um, yeah, I'd have to talk specific. So, but it's 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 so good. We love it's it. It's so good. So you know, it worries me. Like it almost the bar is so high. It almost worries me for like I don't feel like he can't make more this good. 
All right. Um, but we're definitely going to be there for it. For sure. Yeah. And, and regardless, like even if it doesn't speak to me on the levels that this did at times, um, he's still just such an inventive filmmaker. I mean, I remember that Rose the Hat sequence in uh, Doctor Sleep where she like travels across the universe. Um, I'll just leave it at that. It's one of the coolest fucking things I've ever seen. Um, and so cool. um, Mike Flanagan is so good. So good. All right. Hot take for me, Doc. And then we're going to move on to Malignant and be done. Correct? Yes. Okay. Hot take for me, Doc. Okay. We have our list of current modern horror filmmakers that we think are masters. Yeah. Flanagan is on there, right? Yeah. Juan is on there. Who else you got? Go ahead. No wrong answer here. No, I don't know. I mean, I used to think like Ty West, but he hasn't made a lot in a while. It was the last thing he did that the uh, Western he did with John Travolta. Fuck, I think so. And Ethan Hawke. God damn, that was fucking like five years but ago. He, he never makes movies. Remember, he made like a House of the Devil and the Innkeepers, and in like within a two year span, mm-hmm. and then after that, he like never made movies. Um, fucked off the top of my head. I don't know. I mean, we like Ari Aster. He's only made two movies. Um, I don't know. Okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna continue my hot take. You know who else I think should be on that list? Christopher Landon. I thought you were going to say uh, Danzig, Glenn Danzig. Fuck no. He's terrible when it comes to filmmaking. He did the the paranormal yes. activity spinoff, Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, uh, both Happy Death Days, yep. Freaky. Yeah. I'm putting Christopher Landon on that list. I think it's tough like when when his uh, his stuff is so fun, it's hard to sort of like, you know, take it as like a masterpiece. You know, um, but they're, certainly bring any dog enjoyment. They're great. Yep. They're great. I'm trying to think like, who are we missing? We're missing somebody. We're like, missing a massive. lot. Yeah. I don't know how we're fucking this up so bad. Yeah. But that, that's the dog's hot take of the episode. And with that, now we're going to talk about 2021's other masterpiece, James Wan Malignance. And I'm, I'm not saying that ironically or yeah. jokingly. I fucking love this film. So do I. So uh, right now, off the bat, so, okay. So if you have not seen Malignant and you want this, no, really, if you want this to be the end of your podcast because you do not want spoilers from Malignant, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for making it this far. Yeah, thanks for getting through this. I mean, I know this is a big, long one. We knew it was going to be. We knew it was going to be a big, long one. And so Keegan said. Uh, we'll do this again at the end, but Eric... Uh, you love everybody. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, yep. Facebook. Uh, buy a shirt, right? Right. At Goal Squad FM. And with that, uh, goodbye, everyone that hasn't seen Malignant. We love you. We'll see you on the next episode. Da 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 da. And with that, now hello everybody who has seen <laughs> exactly Malignant, who is on the right side of history. Right. Exactly. And hello everyone that's seen Malignant. So not you know all kidding aside. Uh, starting now, there are spoilers for Malignant. Um, there's a massive spoiler in Malignant that if you know it, the whole film will be spoiled. So if you haven't seen it, don't listen. Goodbye. We love you. Now is spoilers for Malignant. Eric, take it away. Yeah, take it away. Okay. We're ready. Go ahead. All right. Uh, malignant is about <laughs> Malignant. <laughs> I'm, I'm just. I, That's I'm how not, it makes you feel. I don't know what movie you've seen. I've seen Malignant. Mal- malignant. <laughs> malignant. Maleficent. Um, malignant. Malignant, uh, directed by James Wan, uh, co-written by him and the woman who wrote Hellfest. Is that right? I know it's co-written by his wife. I think the I think one of the writing credits is the woman who wrote Hellfest. So I can't believe we got through the Halloween kill stuff without talking about Hellfest. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have to bring up Hellfest at least 
once an episode. Once it's, an it's, episode in the, it's in Eric's right. contract. Right, exactly. His very little. It's not a big long one like how Keegan just talked Absolutely about. Absolutely not. Nope. Um, Couldn't be smaller. Okay. Uh, our main character, Madison. Sure. She's in a very unhappy relationship, right? Played by Annabelle Wallace from that Annabelle movie that nobody likes. Yeah. Uh, she's pregnant. Right. And her husband's watching UFC fights. At an at an unreasonable volume. Yes. And she's tired. She went home she came home from work early. She wants to lay down. But her son of a bitch husband? Sure. Abusive husband shoves her into the wall. But before that, he says, I wish you would stop killing my babies. Yes. Cause she's miscarried. Right. Two times. And, and so this is her third attempt at uh, having a child. So, gives her a pretty gnarly head wound, right? Yeah. Okay, where do you go from here, Doc? All right, Eric. So, we're, we are in spoiler territory, so we can just do it. Okay. Okay, so I guess I'll do the I'll be the malignant guy. Be the malignant um, guy. I don't know where to start. Okay, okay. I got it. I got okay. it. No, I got it. No, I got it. Okay. We have to cut out the tumor. We have to cut out the cancer. Oh, oh my God. I can't believe I messed up this this uh, Oscar film. Okay, yeah. So when the film starts, uh, we're in a... We have to uh, cut out the cancer. We're in a hospital, right. And we don't see the patient. But whoever the patient is, is like wildly strong. Throwing around guards, throwing around doctors, killing them, right? It's already preposterous. Right. And we see they're able to shoot a sedative into this unreasonably strong patient. And... They're going so they're going to operate on this patient, and that's when we hear this line: um, "We have to cut out the cancer." Right, and when what we do get a glimpse of the patient two times. First time when the patient's being dragged, and they have these like silly purple socks on, so it's like, okay, what is this? Right. Yes. And then from behind a curtain, we see uh, this patient again, but we but it's definitely not a clear uh, visual, right? <laughs> So now we fast forward to this woman in this abusive wait, relationship. Wait, wait, no, you know, you let, no, you can't, you can't skip past the title card, because okay, context for *Malignant* is it's been advertised as a like haunted house movie. That's what I thought. Like, right. if someone asked me to describe *Malignant* without spoilers, I would say it's a supernatural slasher. Right, and that's what it looked like: haunted house or I we were getting supernatural a James slasher Wan movie. Right, and so. We're introduced to this grindhouse level hospital, um, these primary colors, <laughs> and this ridiculous dialogue of we have to cut out the cancer, and then it slams malignant on the screen with a guitar riff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was all about it, duh. And I suddenly realized that I was I couldn't have been more excited for the most ridiculous thing I've the most the most bonkers film of the year. You know, I, I joked with you. There was uh, advertisements for Venom. Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, and they're saying the most insane film of the year. No, that is not insane. This is insane. Uh, Malignant is the most bonkers, insane film probably I've seen in the last five years. Right. And it ensues. It kicks off with that title card. Right. Okay. Okay. So now uh, this woman, uh, Madison, you know, she's got this head wound. Um, she starts seeing visions of someone murdering people. Right. And so she goes to the police. She tells them, 
I'm seeing this happen. At first, they don't believe her, but she's able to give them a location. Details. Right, where a murder has occurred. So now they believe her, right? Yes. Um, so a couple things here. Number one, we're explaining the movie to people that presumably have already seen it. Mm-hmm. Number two, um, we then, you know, how when did you figure this out? Let's do that. Because I figured it out. Not until the film outright tells me. Okay, I figured it she out. she has a parasitic twin <laughs> in the back of her head. I figured it out a few minutes before the reveal. Not me. So I think there's a shot where she's like sitting there and her hair is all big on in the back of her head. Like it's like, um, like you know, she has big hair throughout the whole movie for a reason. And I was like, oh, it's on the back of her head. And then the reveal happens. And I was like, it's on the fucking back of her head. Fuck. You know, my I, I watched it the second time with my mom. And she didn't say, oh, Madison has a parasitic twin. But my mom goes, it's got to be Madison, right? And I said nothing. So that, but that's the, okay. So like, that's what the film is trying to get you to think. I right? said nothing. But that's not the reveal. The reveal no. is that it's Gabriel on the back of her head. Right. And I figured that part out about a minute or two before. I was like, oh, it's on the back of her fucking head. Mm. Uh, because that hair has been so preposterously big the whole time. And I was like, it's on the back of her head. And then it was revealed. And it was. But regardless, I didn't like pick it out early. Um, and yeah, I mean, where to start? Like, obviously, filmmaking wise, like even before all this kicks off, there's like an overhead shot in the house uh-huh. and like all this crazy James Wan camera work. Not as much as you'd expect early, but there is some. And I was like, holy shit, like even if this sucks, this is cool because I love James Wan. You know, we're big Wan and Knights. I made that up just now. It's pretty good. I liked it. And and then it devolves into what? Go ahead. Like, what else? Where do we go? Fun. A fucking blast. A blast? Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, so aside from the twist, like what's fun is like it's violent as hell. Uh, Extremely mean spirited and then violent, like, crazy. Like the way she moves when Gabriel's in control. Yeah. Like, when I was watching it, I was like, are other people seeing this? Like, am I, am I crazy? Like, am I catching on or is other people seeing this? Yeah. Right now? So like, you know, a uh, couple things. One, the guy, in the apartment across from the red sign, right? So we get these primary colors and this is referring to like several, you know, Bava, Argento, like it's aping all this like um, uh, giallo type filmmaking from Italy, but then also like doing James Wan, attempting James Wan scares, right? Um, And so there's like this, all this like other stuff happening, which I was like, oh, this is cool. Like subverting sort of a lot of what we would expect from him. What? And then, and and then really the chase scene occurs, right? So the cop chases Gabriel, Mm -hmm. the killer through like the sewers, through the underground, through the Seattle underground. And that's the first time they they start in an apartment and work their way down a fire escape. Yes. And And Gabriel's like hanging from like floor to floor, like going down the fire And at a certain point, like he like runs up the side of the wall and goes through like a grate and gets away. And the guy, I think he even says like, what the fuck? Right. And it was in that moment I was like, okay, so like, fuck it. Like we're just, this is awesome. Uh And you know, you've got James Wan, like it's basically the chase from the first saw. I don't know if you remember Mm -hmm. that. Um, And it's ridiculous stuff. It's so, so awesome. And it just evolves into like, 
I don't know. Like, so I saw it twice in theater. The first, let me tell you about this. The first time I saw Malignant in theater, it was me and a middle-aged guy, maybe 40, 50, sitting. It was you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, me, I sat uh, like in the front middle row and the guy was like to my left behind me. And it was just me and him. And all I could think was like, what does this guy think of Malignant? Because why, I why thought, did he go? I have no idea. I thought, you know, I'm laughing. I was like, this is the fucking coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm, I literally like was smiling, like almost clapping, you know, on the inside. And I'm thinking, what is this guy thinking? Well, the second time I saw it, I told my brother, I went home, you know, I, I talk to my brother a lot. We hang out a lot. I went home and I was like, yeah, I think, you need to see this movie. And cause he, th- and my brother does not like scary movies. He doesn't like to be scared. And, and I said, I said, Ben, I'm not trying to fuck with you. It's really not scary. And he's like, well, that's kind of disappointing. Cause like, I mean, it's not good. You know, he's trying to think through it. And I was like, no, I don't, I can't tell you what this is, but I, you, you need to go see malignant like as soon as possible. And he's like, all right. So we went that night, him, his wife and me, and people walked out in the middle of it. You're kidding. Now, Ben You're disputes kidding. this. He says he didn't think, bro, I saw a couple get up and leave and not come back and not come back. And then when it ended, people in front of me said that was fucking stupid and got up and left. Like, well, this was Carlsbad. Yes. And, um, you know, I was, I was, I was watching it the second time, you know, I was just like cackling. Like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen because when you know what it is, it's even more fun. Mm. Uh, because you don't have to think like, what is this? What's that? What's lying behind James Wan's corner? No, I know it's this fucking bazonkers bullshit. Um, it's awesome. It all culminates. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to take it all from you, but it all culminates in the fucking you're, you're prison. Hitting the nails on the head. The prison scene. Um, oh my god, so fucking good. When he just like wipes out not only a bunch of people in a prison cell, but a bunch of police and, at a fucking and some police prison. Some of the movement is so stupid looking. It, it actually is brilliant instead of stupid. Um, you know how she like she like raises up off the ground, like the camera moves with her. It's like almost an upgrade um, level shot. And uh, I just thought he was just having so much fun and just being fucking stupid. Like there's all these weird like soap opera-y scenes. Uh, some of the costume choices are like, what the fuck? Like did some you know that c- Zoe Bell? Yes. That was fucking wild. And then, and then, like the music choices they did the oh, the Pixies. Really, where's my mind? But like an electronical version, electronic version but of it. I it that they was were good. playing it like it was a TV show. Like they play it like four times. And I was like, what the fuck is like the part where her mom falls out of yeah? Okay, thank you. And then it hits, and she's like screaming. That's really good, though. And that's of course a fake out to say that like she's crazy and killing people, right? Like she's the killer. And that's not really the reveal. The reveal is that the killer is her. It's just, it's not her. It's, it's her twin. It's her twin on the right. back of her head. Right. Um, fuck, dude. Like, it's I so just, much fun. it's so much fun. And I'm, I left the second time and I was just giddy. I was like, that's the coolest movie I've seen this year. Now, I hadn't seen, I can't remember if I'd seen The Night House yet. No, I would have. I saw The Night House and uh, I think I saw Candyman like that next week. Well, Malignant was September. Candyman is October, no? I think so. Like, I think I saw my point is like smashed between all this, like important stuff, in my opinion, like stuff I was really very serious and, and important to me, uh, because then Halloween was coming up. Nighthouse is ex- dude, extremely serious, um, to go see oh, just a fun time malignant and just 
it, it's one of my favorite directors just like basically fucking around. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. Now, is it going to win Oscars? No. Are people going to see Malignant and hate it? Probably. But we know it's good. It's so awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. It's now, so good. I'm pissed because um, in the UK, they had announced a 4K steelbook for it. And I thought, okay, cool. We'll get a 4K steelbook. Well, I'm guessing maybe the reaction changed their release plans. Because now in the in the US, there's not even a 4K disc or World It's just a Blu-ray. So yeah. I'm wondering if they got scared and just are putting out a Blu-ray. Uh, so it's November 30th. And St. Maude also comes out. And E-Dog's yeah. already got them both pre-ordered. Yeah. I'm disappointed that Malignant doesn't have a 4K. So now it's almost like, well... You're, de- you're definitely the 4K guy. That's just sad. Like, it, it um, HDR is important for color. And it's like, I, I don't want to get technical. This is what I do. But um, that's just disappointing. So I'm going to pay $20 for a 1080p Blu-ray. Yes. But if... Yes. But uh, on HBO Max, it was in 4K. So that's just... Oh, really? That's frustrating. Like, Why? Why? So I don't know. I think they got scared and they're like, fuck it. Put it out on Blu-ray, not 4K. Because it costs more money to make a 4K disc. I'll tell you what, Dara. Let's say everybody does hate it. Five, ten years, Screen Factory is going to put it out and it's going to be like loved. See, you you, you told me that. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, but horror fans like it. I just think it's normal people that don't like it. Okay. Ooh, I think, I think did I use hit, the normies? I think you hit the nail on the head about everything I liked about it, Dara. Uh, yeah, sorry uh, to suck that all up. No, no, no. That, Not that I do this every fucking time. I know, but you're talking about long, big ones and sucking it up. But uh, I love how I thought I was just going to get a James Wan haunted house film. Right. I didn't. Uh, so that was great that he fooled me. And then just the the level of action, I think. I guess I'm an action guy, Doc. I yeah, like action films. And I for thought, sure. And I thought the chase scenes. Yep. And there's a lot of fun humor yep. in it, you know, when uh, the detective is like chasing him and he's like, Am I serious? And he like jumps and like dives into like a dumpster or something yep. like that. He like jump. Uh, no, like he jumps off the fire escape, like Gabriel did. Except Gabriel has like super strength. Right. He jumps off it and just like slams on the fucking. I just thought it was hilarious. It? Onto yeah. the trash can, yeah. Um, and then of course you know the reveal. Like this one's gonna be high <laughs> on my list. I think I loved it. It's probably gonna be on my top five because I just you know. <laughs> There's probably people out there listening to this podcast that They're didn't like, these guys suck. That didn't love Malignant. And it's just, you know, I get it. I really do. I actually do. This is not like I am not one of those fucking uh snobby people that is like, well, if you didn't get malignant, you're an idiot. No. Oh, isn't that awful? No. You know it's been hurting. Malignant, my if you didn't like it, you're probably right. <laughs> it's just so fucking preposterous. It's so right. much fun. Uh it, the only the best word. For Malignant is bonkers. Bonkers fucking James Wan insanity. I do wonder if I didn't know it was James Wan and I didn't... Still like it. I, well, no, I think I would have been had fun with it. You wouldn't have watched it. I'm calling that right now because your ass would be rewatching Trick or Treat. Is it in theater? I would have watched it if it was in theater. Yeah, because it went to theater. Then, oh, I don't know. Then yes. I don't know because... I mean, if it's in theater, I feel like this movie got made because it was James Wan. Yeah, you know definitely. What I'm saying? Like he's made. I know. I'm just asking Warner you, Brothers, a kajillion you're, dollars. You're, you're with trying Aquaman. to say I wouldn't have watched it because it's original horror at home. I understand your joke. My question yeah. to you is: Is it in theater? Then I definitely would have seen it. Definitely. So, are you telling me, as you're sitting there, I'm ripping these gnarly, gross farts in your kitchen, that you watch every horror film? That goes to theaters. I definitely try to. I think I missed. Okay. Like if it's here, 
Right. Like if it's readily if available, yeah. gets it. Yeah. That's that's true. I guess that's a, a fox yeah. that I should have. I missed um I missed something right before the pandemic, and I'm glad I did. And oh. I can't remember what it was. I saw the turning. No, that was two years ago. Well, Whatever. There's no reason to watch it. A that. while ago. Uh I missed something right before the pandemic, and I'm glad I fucking did. But um Da I drove opening weekend to El Paso, Texas. Yeah. To watch Death Rider in the House of Vampires. And you know what? I put my ticket on my refrigerator. I drove to Roswell to see the Night House. Yeah, yeah. But the Night House was a wide release. Okay, I didn't just have a 9.30 p.m. showing one time a day. Are are you doing this horror elitist bullshit? I'm flexing on you right now, dog. Um, No, I I think it's... um, The problem is I'm always... There's always something I'm watching... You know, I'm always you know, something you're rewatching. Yes. Yep. <laughs> no, it's been I a problem. It's definitely, well, no, it's definitely been a problem lately. And I do need to watch more new horror at home. I definitely do. I think no that it's, on it's paralyzing the amount of bullshit that's out on VOD and Netflix and Hulu and fucking HBO and fucking shutter, especially shutter. And it's awesome. I'm so glad there's so much coming out but it's paralyzing. Like even all these shows, like I had a hard time. I was like, fuck, okay, well it's Mike Flanagan. So I have to watch midnight mass, but it's like, there's fucking 30 other things the next day. And I know you could say, well, you're not watching a lot of it. Well, yeah. Cause it's like, fuck, what do I watch? Like, I don't know what to watch. I already brought this up. But uh, if those Bustillo and Mori guys make something, I'm fucking watching. You're going to watch Alicia Kandisha, Alicia Kandisha, Alicia Kandisha, Alicia Kandisha, Alicia Kandisha, Alicia Kandisha. Let me ask you this. I brought this up outside of the podcast, but this is podcast talk. Are you going to watch Chucky? I hope so. I plan on it. It's only two episodes in. You can catch it. I plan on it. It's Um, great. I like it a lot. It's just, I don't know. I don't don't feel like I have that many chances to watch things like I used to. Um, Which is crazy because you live alone. Yeah. And do you work just eight hours a day or more? Ten. Okay. I mean, that's a lot. And then I go to bed at like eight. Okay, that's understandable. That's part of the the problem is I get home and then you got to play Fortnite. I don't play every day. I like on days I work, I get home, I eat, I watch like half a YouTube video, and by that time I'm going to bed. Um, oh, you think I play Fortnite every day? I swear, like every time I turn on my Xbox, it says Keegan's either playing Fortnite or Madden. I could see Madden. Okay, so Chucky. Mancini has done an excellent job of already making me. Are the old characters showing up? I I got scared off by the trailer. There was an extended trailer and there were no old characters, and I got scared. That's what he was getting at. I I'm already sympathetic toward our our new main character's plight, but I can't wait until fucking you know Andy starts showing yeah. up and Tiffany starts showing up. Well, that's concerning. They're not showing up yet. It's two episodes, G. How many episodes is Chucky? Fucking ten. I don't know, but I mean, they're in. I've seen them in trailers, da. I know they're in it, da. Okay, so I'm just please watch Chucky. Stay away from Dave the Dead. I thought the first episode was. How was Night of the Animated Dead, da? You know I didn't watch that shit, da. Oh, uh, you watch everything it says of the dead. Fuck you, da. Fuck you, die. You said don't tap on the table and I'm tapping on the table. Well, we waited this long to get contentious and, and it's so late and we've been recording for three and a half it's hours. It's 930. It's 9.37, Doc. I go to bed at 8.30 on days I work. We got, let's wrap this shit up, Doc. I was going to go home and vacuum, but not anymore. I got to shower and get to bed. If you made it past our malignant review, thank you so much for listening. We hope we didn't run out of gas too hard. 
thought we did okay. I thought we did as well. I like how we're always like trying to be like, I thought we did a good job. <laughs> we, we always have to uh, like comfort ourselves. Pump ourselves up. Yeah. Like it's like that scene in Cabin in the Woods where she's like, okay, I, I'm getting self-conscious. Tell me I'm pretty. Um, that's Eric and I with the Ghoul Squad podcast. Correct. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. We love you all. Shout out to all of you. You know who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. At T Public at Ghoul Squad FM. Yes. Follow us, tweet us, say stuff to us. Oh, I have no idea if he'll hear this. Rasul, he hit me up uh, about the, uh, the Burbs Blu ray and a few other things. I took like a month to reply to him and I felt like such a dick. So if anyone made it here, hello, Rasul. We love you. Thanks for listening. Uh, he's a good listener of ours and everyone else out there, and especially Andrew for giving us your podcast equipment unwillingly, which yes. also could be considered stealing. Do you think he listens? No. Okay, good. Well, I don't know. Andrew, you out there? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your podcast, Quinn. We love you. And with that, thanks for listening. Um, We'll see you next time. What are we going to do next? And we'll we'll turn it off. That's it. We we haven't discussed it. Shit, it might end up being our top 10 of the year by that point. Yeah, damn. You might be right. We'll see. I'll have to watch horror movies. I don't know how to do that anymore. I forgot. And with that, we love you. Goodbye. Good night. Eric, do you love them? I maybe like a few of you. And with that, we'll see you guys on the next episode of the Google Squad Podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.